So we are hot, Brian. Um, Sexy. <laughs> so to to everyone that is going to eventually listen to these podcasts, um, I guess like the the best way to start this is to do like a small introduction of of one another. And um, we we me and Brian like we got on the call and we've been like talking for the last ten minutes about really great stuff. And um, I just don't know when to, to start this or how to start it because this is something new for the both of us. But I, I think that the best way and the most cheesy way of always doing things is kind of to just like touch base on who we are as people. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll let you go first if you want to, or I can go first. It's up to you. Yeah, sure. I'll go. Um, yeah, I'm Brian, Brian Earl. Uh, I live in Florida, known Jason for shoot, I don't know, 20 years just about now. Yeah. Um, yeah, we come from a had a mutual friend and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> now that I'm on the spot, it's always <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I uh, I run a salvage yard here in Florida, so uh, I just kind of do my own thing, self-employed. I've got a lot of little side hustles and side projects on, and share a lot of mutual interests with Jason and. Uh, he extended his offer to have me on, and I definitely graciously accepted. And it's it's been fun chatting with you, and I'm sure we'll have some good discussions, Jason. Hell yeah! And so to to uh, leverage off of what Brian said, so we've known each other yeah for almost like well over 20 years. Um, I met Brian uh, because he was uh, one of my good friends growing up, and actually like family to the both of us. Um, he uh, was Brian's like good friend. Uh, they were in the same grade. There was like a, a two year difference between us, right? Like two or three years. I can't remember. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, two or three year difference between us. Um, and uh, I met Brian one day through him, and uh, it was funny. Like I, the way to describe our friendship was really interesting, and I've talked about it before in in my own podcast. Brian was uh, uh, one side of the spectrum. Our good friend Michael was one side of the spectrum. And I felt like I was kind of like the happy medium. Like I felt like Brian when I was a kid and still is um, a super adventurous, super like uh, he, he just enjoys doing really awesome uh, hands-on. He's just like always been that type of person that's like uh, always wants to like finicky at things, understand things at like the core component. And he's just like, I would, some people would dare to say reckless in some areas. Uh, I would say that, you know, maybe so, but I mean, he's still living. So he has to, (laughs) he knows to some degree, like the risks and some of the things that he does on the other side, our good friend, Michael was like the, the, the poster child for like, uh, like the most innocent person ever. Like this, this person would not, uh, you know, well-grounded, well-educated, had a strong family foundation, um, but just is, is very reckless or not very reckless, very um, hesitant to take like any kind of decision that would could put, even remotely put his life in danger um, or, or put him in a position where it would go against his religious background. And um, both Brian and I share a similarity in the fact that you're still not religious, right? Yeah, definitely. Not okay. Religious at all. Um, and so I felt like I was in the middle where like I could do like the adventure stuff as like what Brian would do, but like not to the same degree that he would do it. And then I also felt like I had some of the foundations that uh, Michael had in like the nerd aspect of things, but not to the high level of degree that he had. 
And so it was really awesome of a trifecta of friendship that we had growing up as kids. Um, and really, Brian is, is the type of person that if you met him in person and you tried to, to read him like as the cover of a book just by just seeing him in a crowd, you would just think that he's nothing uh, like a person of not that much of, of story or interest or anything of that nature. But I promise you when I tell you this that um, when I posted this idea of, of – of doing another podcast and having a co-host on and having a, an, uh, a platform where we can discuss things that uh, matter to people may not matter to every single person, but it's just interesting stuff. Always like interesting conversations. I had him in mind because this person, like I said, he's super well educated. I think, uh, weren't you like a, like, don't you have like a high IQ? What is that a thing? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I remember that as a kid. I felt like, you know, it was like, uh, like just like a super high Q, uh, but just like super down to earth, really great guy, great friend, reliable. Like if I ever, if something ever happened to me, I know that I could always reach out to Brian. Like if I was living in Florida and, and he would go to extra mile for me, I never tested that. And I don't think we, either one of us would have tested that, but if that was ever the case, uh, I know like he would always have my back and I would always have his back. And we both like, well, I have very embarrassing stories with him uh, that we'll eventually share. Um, I don't think I have too many of him, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but just an all around great friend. And it sucks that distance separates us, but ultimately, and like we don't really talk as much as like we used to, but anytime I do get into a conversation with Brian, it's like we never stop talking it's to each always, other. It's always, always, re- always rewarding. To, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's like, it's like we come back to like our, like the way it was like when we were kids. So it's just super that's exciting like, to that's have. That's how you know your true friends, man. Whenever you can not talk for ten years and then ring each other up, and it's like you're on left off, right where you left off, you know. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm super excited to have Brian on and kind of to. Um, to talk about like essentially what this podcast is going to be about. One of the reasons why I had Brian in mind is that we were talking about this before. I feel like Brian and I share uh, a lot of, uh, a lot in common or about like 80% in common with things that we believe in things that we could potentially agree on. There is a 20% part though, that I feel like there is some disagreement in and friendly disagreement And it's that plus the fact that in the 80% that we do agree in that I feel like, and we were talking about this before, I don't think that we would get to the same results the same way. Like we could see the the end result and and like why that should be the course that humanity or, or people in general should take. But the way that we get there, I think would be very different. And so it's very exciting to have them on for that reason, because um, it's, it's not like we disagree on every single thing. So this podcast isn't going to be something where we're just constantly going back and forth on because, you know, I think there obviously is some interest in drama and, um, disagreement. I mean, just look at, yeah, we'll get, we'll, we'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah, we'll get there. But you know, and obviously you could see in, in media and everything of that nature that that is a driving force, but uh, it's just not something that I want to do with a good friend. Uh, but we are going to have disagreements and uh, this podcast today, our first one, we, we were talking about like some ideas about like what we wanted to discuss in these podcasts. And the idea is um, to like do these weekly 
uh, if in the future we ever like this actually becomes something that we love so much, it could change. You know, I, I'm a very flexible person. I, I feel like Brian is as well. Um, but right now, like it's just weekly. Uh, and the way uh, I want to talk about like different things is I, I feel like there's multiple things that we discussed at the beginning uh, before doing this podcast that uh, we definitely disagree on. And, and, and those are the subjects I, I like one of them today, real estate and why like Brian is for um, super for like home ownership and I'm totally against it. And uh, going, by the way, Brian, going into this, I didn't, I wanted to do research, but I was like, Nah, I'm not gonna do that. Like, I don't want to. I have the same thought process on that. Really? I, like, I thought about like writing down some notes and stuff, but I was like, I think it'll work out better if we both just swing it. I, I, I had the intuition that I, you would uh, feel the same on that. Yeah. So I, I was gonna like I was gonna tell you earlier, but I was like, no, you know what? I, I just to test myself, I want to see if he did whip out the notes that like if somehow me with just like a lack of factual evidence, but just in enough of a conversational point that I could sway your perspective, that would be pretty awesome. But okay, great. So we're on a level playing field on that, which is great. So this first podcast will be essentially uh, why I'm against homeownership and and why Brian is solely for it. And then I think the following week, I think we'll, we'll kind of do uh, a podcast where it's like pure disagreement and then another one where uh, we can agree on, on, on certain, like on the ultimate goal, Brian, I think, uh, uh, just, I we didn't talk about this yet, but I think for next week, I would love to do one on, uh, living like self-sustainable, like living like my project green idea that I have. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I have a little bit of background on that. Um, my father has always been interested in that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and he's more or less working towards the same projects as you are uh, towards getting sustainable living, uh, independent living going uh, in his little compound. So I'm sure uh, I can offer you some advice on, on that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, and actually Brian's already kind of doing that right now, to be honest. I mean, describe uh, describe like your uh, like your your living situation at the moment. He lives like in a, a like really close like really close to like a really nice area of, of Florida, but he chose to not live in that area. I think you did for a little bit, right? But then you yeah, you, uh, I, I was living closer in town. I was living in Palm Coast for a while. Yeah, um, which was nice, but uh, it, it wasn't for me. And I, I realized that was pretty soon on. And I'm I'm very happy with where I'm at now. Um, I've got about 14 acres uh, in East Palatka kind of uh, near like a little farming town uh, near St. Augustine. And uh, man, buying this place has just been exceptional, man. It's so nice to be able to have the freedom to do what you want, to have a little bit of property to build on projects and to to take on, you know, bigger projects. Uh, It's it's been great. And I couldn't have been, I couldn't be more happy with my decision to purchase uh, and, and get going what I have going here now. And this is how ignorant I am. Uh, I to this day I could not like if someone held a gun to my head and, and asked me to draw up the dimensions of what an acre is, I couldn't do it. I would be like, just pull the trigger, dude. Like I've been <laughs> on plenty of properties where people tell me this is like a one and a half acre property or this is like a twenty acre property. I'm like, oh, cool. Can you like tell me that in feet, please, or like miles? Like, so no. uh, what is an acre? Tell me, like uh, what. 
I don't. I, I, I guess I'd have to Google it to know the exact dimensions. But uh, an acre isn't just linear; uh, it's square footage. Um, and so, it, uh, you can kind of think of an acre as like a single-family home sitting on a lot with like a little back fenced-in backyard and a front yard. That, that's that's kind of one acre. Okay. Your, your stand your, your standard house plot is is generally on an acre. Gotcha. Okay. And so, fourteen acres essentially, you could have. Would you say okay, like in, in like to kind of talk about uh, next week's subject a little bit? Could you do a small community on fourteen acres, or would you need something a little bit bigger than that? Uh, it, it really would depend on the property itself, because uh, a lot of times, whenever you get into like higher acreage and stuff, uh, there's going to be large portions of it that might not necessarily be usable. Um, so, like I'm sitting, I have fourteen acres, but only seven of it is truly buildable and usable. The, the other uh, is swampland and marshland, which is, which is really nice as well um, as like a buffer, you know, for neighbors and stuff. And it also gets appraised less on your taxes, so you pay a little bit less property taxes. Oh, cool. Um, but, but realistically, there's only about seven usable acres of my land here where I could uh, build and utilize. Could you uh, – uh, I know it would probably require a lot of money, but could you, in theory uh, – convert that swap land into livable land technically there are processes for doing it um usually it requires purchasing additional land and converting that to swamp land um like it's i, I think it's called wetlands mitigation is the term um and it, it is something that a lot of larger projects and larger development uh it's just a, it's just the nature of the beast they inevitably have to do it whenever you're buying big plots of land um and putting in homes and stuff but as far as for the individual to do that, uh, not very realistic, to be honest. It, it, it would be cost excessive. Gotcha. And was uh, when you like, did was there a building in on the the plot of land? You didn't build a house, right? It was already there. No, it was a, it was a home from the seventies, um, and it was in pretty much disarray. Uh, I, I completely remodeled it, um, but yeah, there wasn't an existing structure here, which is. Definitely, uh, buying a home, buying land with a home on it already uh, takes away a lot of little issues that you run into whenever you just buy blank land and build a home. Yeah, you have to pay impact fees and pay to get the power out there and build your septic tank and stuff, and that those costs can be substantial. Uh, do you uh, are you on well water or are you? Uh... Yes, I, I have my own well. Yep, got my own well here. I, I uh, whenever I purchased the property, that that was one of the my initial investments was my water system. I wanted to have really good water, uh, so I spent a pretty good money up front to make sure that my water system was right and completely redid the existing system that was here. Gotcha. And so, how, where does the water come from? Is it just from underneath the? Yeah, it's from it's from the well. I don't know. In, in Florida, I guess you're in Vegas, different water situation. But in Florida, uh, we have an aquifer. Um, more or less, you drill a hole anywhere here, you get fresh water. And then, um, what's the? Do you have to uh, filter that water in any way? Yeah, yeah. So first, uh, like I have like a, at first it comes out of the ground. It goes through a charcoal filter. Uh, well, first it goes through a sediment filter, and then it goes through a charcoal filter. Then it gets put through uh, an aeration system, which removes the sulfur, and then it gets put through a softening system. Uh, and then it comes into the house, so it's like a yeah, like a four four stage filter system. Is water softener uh, like uh, like consumable, or like you would have to drink before it gets to the softener? 
so like the water, like as it comes, like like right out of the ground, has a very strong sulfur smell to it, um, and that's what the aeration system takes uh, takes care of. That's that's the biggest problem with the with the Florida water is the sulfur. But just it, luckily, it's an easy solution. You just aerate it. Uh, a lot of people have like big open tanks where like it's like a big pool more or less, and it sprays water in like a mist to like aerate it. Uh, but like they're kind of open and like lizards and stuff get in there and die, so it's kind of gross at the same time. Uh, and so, so I opted for a little bit better system that's completely sealed and closed. No, <laughs> yeah, smart. And what what's the maintenance on that, or how often? Um, the maintenance is pretty minimal, but uh, it uses uh, the the aeration system. I don't think ever has ever goes bad. The softener stuff, I think like, you get like ten or fifteen years out of the. Uh, the media that's in it, I forget the exact name for what they call it, but uh, it, it's a pretty long-term thing. It lasts for a while. Uh, why softener? Like, is is there benefits to water softener? Because like everything that you were talking about leading up to the water softener makes sense. Uh, what benefits do you get from like the the water softener? So, uh, with it, it helps with like washing clothes and like detergents and washing your hands and stuff. Um, the water will have like a slippery like feel to it almost. Whenever the water softener isn't working right, like if it runs out of salt or something, you'll you'll notice the water just feels different. Um, and uh, I don't really I don't really understand the full mechanism of how it works uh, and what it does. But it, basically, without a water softener, you have to use a lot more detergent and a lot more soap to get the same effects. Gotcha. Like I, I uh, recently. Um bought a have you ever heard of the company called berkey uh no i haven't uh so i was looking for a since i don't own this house i live in this or i rent this house i didn't want to pay for a reverse osmosis uh filtration system because that would require like insulation and then like if i ever moved out of here i would have to like uninstall that and um i'm not as handy of a person as you are i could watch videos and probably do it myself but i'm just very lazy so I would probably instead just pay someone else to do it. But um, I just didn't want it to go through that level of investment on a property that I don't even own. So that mm. could go into your little argument as to um, some of the benefits to, to home ownership. But anyways, um, I was looking for like a gravity fed uh, filtration system, but like a really high quality one, because the problem with Las Vegas water isn't so much the... Uh, the chemical taste to it it's more the where the water comes from it comes from the colorado river and mm-hmm. it's very mineralized it's it's heavy uh it's got a high tds uh, amount to it um and so it's it's got a lot of minerals inside and it's uh, abrasive it's really annoying um and again like i could get like a water softener and everything of that nature to kind of take care of that but i didn't want to have to go through that and mm-hmm. so i was trying to do a ton of research on like what I could get to kind of um, filter. I'm surprised there's not like a tabletop RO system that you can get that, you know, just more or less plugs into your, uh, your faucet fixture and and doesn't require any like deep install, you know, I think there is, uh, but I actually, so I was looking at an RO system, like a reverse, but the problem with reverse, reverse osmosis actually funny enough, studies have been shown that uh, reverse osmosis and like distilled water is actually pretty bad for you now. Yeah, it, it is because it, it does such a good job of stripping away all the trace elements that your your body actually needs some of that stuff. And then the other reason too that they're finding out—I don't know if you knew this—but when you drink that water, water is a very unique um, 
it's just a just very unique. You could do an entire podcast on just how unique water is, to be honest. But um, when water has this uh, ability that if it has a certain amount of of mineralization inside of it, or like ions, essentially those are ions, right? Molecules that are going on in the water. The mm-hmm. water will not bind any more molecules to it any more than it needs to. Uh, it'll have like a level of equi- equilibrium. But if it's completely devoid of any ions or any molecules, it'll if suck you, it, up. it yeah. will suck up that mineral. So essentially, if you drank that, in theory, it could suck up essential minerals from your body before you digest it. Um, yeah. We might we might have saw that. I, I, I learned that as well through an article uh, I was reading about. Um, it was actually about uh, those detectors that they have for uh, – I forget the particle of it. Yeah, they, TDS is what you're talking – it's uh, essentially like the water testers that you can get to measure like the, the particulates inside of water. When I was I – was, I, I learned about that because um, I was reading a scientific article about uh, those huge underground facilities they have to detect those super tiny particles. I forget the name of them. Uh, the sun generates them. There's like trillions of them past Oh, the neutrinos. Yeah, yeah, the neutrino detectors, yeah. Um, I was reading an article about that, about how those detectors actually work, and they were actually saying the water uh, that they use, that they fill those cavities up with all the neutrino detectors, is so pure and is so uh, is so concentrated to just pure water that they're saying uh, if they drop a wrench in that container, like in a month or two, it'll completely dissolve it. It'll just be gone. Yeah. Like, the water is just incredibly corrosive and it's like pure state like that. Exactly. And so, by the way, uh, how'd you forget neutrinos, dude? I think you were, uh, when I was a kid, I think you were the one that told me what a neutrino was. <laughs> yeah, it just took my tongue. I forgot the word. <laughs> I was like, wait, what is this word that he's looking for? It can't be neutrinos because he was the one that told me about that when I was a kid. Um but uh, sorry, it just made me laugh when when I was like, "Are you talking about neutrinos?" And you were like, "Yeah." <laughs> I was like, "Wait, how'd you forget about that?" It's like almost like a, it's, it's almost like if you forgot like what uh, Bitcoin was. Like, yeah. I would have been like, "Brian, are you talking about Bitcoin? <laughs> have you lost it, man?" Um, but uh, uh, so yeah, so essentially, I was looking. I wasn't looking for an RO system. I got, I slowly got swayed away from that, and so. I was looking for a, a like a gravity fed system where essentially it doesn't use any electricity or anything of that nature. You just fill up a t- like a Brita filter, essentially like simplified, yeah. right? Uh, but those suck. They 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 they're not made to do a lot of work because they're not that complex of a filtration system. So I landed yeah. on a on a company, a really old company uh, based out of Colorado called Berkey, and essentially um, they use uh, a combination of of uh, carbon. Uh, like a, a carbon filter and then they also have like a fluoride filter expansion that you can get as well and you're you're supposed to be able to like take like pond water like lake water and dump it in this and it will filter out all the components and just leave what you need in there like all the minerals that are important for you like calcium and phosphorus and remove everything else out of it like the heavy metals because <laughs> though the thing that you don't want in water is heavy metals like those are bad for you um, but there are essentially essential minerals mm-hmm. in there that are good for you. Yeah. Um, and so this filtration system, actually, I just received it. Um, it cost me like they had a holiday special, but for like a three gallon um, filter and it's like a super tall, like stainless steel tank. It's got two, the top part, it's like, it's cut in half. The top half is like where you dump the water in and then the bottom half is where it stores the water. 
And uh, essentially mm-hmm. the carbon filters are on the top half and then the fluoride filters are just kept in the bottom half of it. And the, it goes through the, fil- the carbon filters first and then it goes through the fluoride filter that removes the fluoride and then it removes arsenic as well, I think. Stuff like the carbon filter can't really remove. And um, I'm in a process of like I have to like um, – What's the word I'm looking for right now? I have to. So, so, so. What was that? I think your internet got the best of us right now, Brian. Trying to move. Can you hear me? Yeah. There you go. Can you hear me now? Yeah. I just move closer. Just so we're clear. Hold up. Fluoride and water. Jason? Yeah. I can Hello? hear you, Brian. Oh, I lost you. Can I, am I here? Am I back? Can you, yeah, I can yeah, hear yeah. you. I was saying, are you for or against uh, fluoride being added to water? What are your thoughts on that? Um, so, fluoride, uh, I, be, I was doing research on it. Fluoride um, is good for your, it's good for your, like, your, um, your teeth, but essentially past that going into your body is actually not good for you at all. And the level of fluoride that's required, uh, you essentially can get from just doing your daily routine of, of like washing your teeth with toothpaste and stuff like that. So the added benefit of fluoride in water is actually not good. Um, it was, I wonder how we, I wonder how we got to the level where it's so accepted where almost every municipal water has uh, fluoride, like fluoride being added. I wonder why that is. I, it's because back in the day, I think what happened was that there was uh, there was an argument for the beneficial. The, 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 uh, it was like beneficial in the sense that it was like a, a good way of maintaining water. I think the the acidity of water, and then at the same time, they had a, a like it was sold as it had an additional benefit for being good for your teeth. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I remember always hearing that as a kid, you know, it's good for your teeth, but. But yeah, if you look at your debatable. toothpaste, like it's in there, right? If you like, um, it's, and I, I think the other thing too was like back in the day, toothpaste didn't have fluoride, right? It was just like a component that you would just use to wash, like wa- essentially mm-hmm. wash your teeth, but not really um, strengthen the teeth as, as well from fluoride mm-hmm. and other things. But that's now. One, another pro, that's another pro for a well system is you don't, you don't have any kind of fluoride. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So the only reason you would even need to buy this, fil- that's why they sell it separately. The only reason you would need it is like if you were connected to city water. Um, because if you're like, if you're on well water like you are, there's no added fluoride. I mean, I, there, I would be very curious though. You would not know unless you had your water tested in lab. I wonder if runoff from just water in general, like, like filtered or fluoride water from like big cities had like has gone into your well water because you know, the ground is porous, right? We mm-hmm. all know that now. Um, I wonder what level of contaminants gets into your water. Like, do you get your water tested at all? Or Yeah, I did. Um, I actually, I, I, ha- I haven't had this well tested, um, but I did. Ha- my mother actually had our well tested in Hastings a few miles away at my shop, um, and it actually came back really well, like exceptionally well. I was surprised. Because we're like uh, in like a farm community, you know, so there's a lot of pe- uh, like commercial chemical and pesticide usage around us, and and I was actually really surprised by the test that came back how good the water actually was. <laughs> huh? Yeah, that's that that is surprising to be honest. But I mean, there there must be so much uh, like minerals in Florida soil as well that would probably help mitigate some of that. 
Yeah, as well, I mean, you got to remember, too, as, as the water filters its way down, um, it's basically going through a massive filter system to even get to the aquifer. So uh, it, it itself is, is kind of treated on its way down, I think. Yeah, true. It would have to contaminate, like, the actual aquifer. It'd have to be, like, yeah. like uh, uh, what are your thoughts on fracking? Yeah, we don't, they don't really do that here. Uh, the, the big problem in this area is saltwater intrusion. Um, the farms, they pull so much water out of the aquifer that it gives it a negative pressure uh, sometimes. And whenever that happens, uh, the aquifer can suck up salt water from the ocean and stuff. And, and then you have salinity problems, which is, you know, whenever you're trying to grow plants, it's not what you want. Uh, or drink as well. I mean, technically, drink, yeah. you know, and then the problem with uh, saline water, it's so hard to filter that. You have to really pay like for an expensive uh, unit yeah, just yeah. to desalinate Whole house systems like ten grand. That's what you got to do to get rid of salinity. Yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah, it's, it's always surprised me. Like with like California, for instance, like the wildfire issues that they have. I always like I ask myself, it's like why doesn't California just invest into like a super high tech, like to desalinate like the water from the ocean from the Pacific Ocean and just use that to like fix all their um, issues with with um, what's the word I'm looking for. With how dry everything is, what is the, yeah the, with the dry I, the I droughts? Think the issue yeah. is, is the amount is the amount of power and energy it takes to run an RO system at that scale would be phenomenal. Um, like most people don't realize until you've actually seen an RO system run, there's a massive amount of waste backflush water that needs to be done constantly to keep the filters unclogged. Like if, if, for every like five gallons of RO water that you produce, you're maybe making 50, 60 gallons of wastewater. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And uh, it, it just, it's just it's a very, very intensive system. It takes very high pressure and crazy filters and stuff. Uh, that's the reason why they don't do that. It's just I think it's energy and cost prohibitive to, to do it at that scale. Brian, is there ever, to, to change the subject, is there ever a time uh, where there's a project or something like a hands-on project that uh, – is there like a, a threshold where you're like, man, you know what? I'm just going to pay someone else to do that. Or are you always the type of person that's like, I can do it? I mean, I definitely give it a good college try. Uh, I, I, I do try to know my limits, though. Uh, if it's something that requires like extreme precision or something, like doing cabinets or something, I'm just not even going to go there. I'll let the pros handle that. But as far as like roughing it or just like figuring out a water system or doing that kind of stuff. I, I, I like to, I like to take on the challenge. I think it's fun. Have you ever, have you ever uh, asked yourself if you could build uh, a house from the ground up? Uh, I, I would like to do that. And I've, I've seen, uh, I've got a few friends that are involved in construction and, you know, it, it always seems so simple just watching it, but in print and practice, you know, it's, it's always 10 times harder than you think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm the same way. Like I look at them like, you know, I mean, I don't think I could, do it quickly but i think if i if you give me a year i could build a house but then i'm like i would probably make the first mistake i would make would be to already start buying the material and not planning it all out you know like architecting it all out yeah and i think like that's probably like the the majority of the work right there is like getting it on paper and transferring something from a two-dimensional sense to like actual uh like building it um, and, and doing it in the right way where you're not wasting your money, where you're not doing cutoffs and throwing away stuff that you've, you've paid for. You know, you want to, you want to make sure you're utilizing your materials fully and not 
wasting and being wasteful about what you're doing it. See, this is why I wanted Brian on here because like a lot of people would have just ended it on that, but that's a hundred percent true. And I, I'm, I'm in the camp where I always have waste. I always have waste. And like, I don't prepare, like I don't ever, like whenever I do something, I always just get like what I know that I'm going to need and then not account for like, well, if I just spent a little bit more time, I could have just like calculated exactly what I needed and not have waste because like I, I, so I remember, uh, whenever, I don't know, we must've been 18, 19, they were building a new house, uh, down peninsula, um, almost down towards where Heidi and Nelson's place was. It was on the other side of peninsula though. Um, and the engineer for that house, uh, I was like, I stopped and like read the board out of it. And the design that went into, like, the materials planning was insane. Supposedly, what they said on the board was that after they were finished building that house, all of the cutoff and waste material would fit in two garbage cans, which I thought that was insane. Like, I thought, like, that, like, that's where we need to be. That's the kind of stuff that we need to be focusing on, like, extreme efficiency like that. That's that's how we are going to solve our problems. Oh, 100%. Yeah. We're just so wasteful. I mean, even like if there was a way to um, just like groceries, it's unbelievable how much money. Like I uh, I saw a video. I think it was John Oliver. Do you watch Last, uh, last Week Tonight? Uh, not habitually, but I try to. I, I watch it here and there. I, I find, dude, I think he's so hilarious. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie, dude. It's, it's harder to watch him without the studio audience. It just him in a room alone, it just it, t- it takes a little bit away from it for me. Oh, yeah. So, Ever since the COVID, I've like been a little less into his show, but I, I still like him. I think he does it like him and and maybe Trevor Noah do that a little bit better than everyone. Everyone else is like so bad. Like yeah, it's you still could, good. It's it's good, but yeah, it definitely takes away a little. I never knew the impact of having a studio audience could have on someone like their comedic I, I approach. It's something that like you like to hate on it, but then whenever it's gone, you're like, okay, kind of kind of needed them to be there. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, these jokes are not landing at all. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, how that just shows you that the uh, the follow what is that called? Like the the sheep syndrome, where like essentially, if someone else laughs, you're gonna laugh as well. Yeah, yeah, we're only laughing because we hear other people laughing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so but, bad. But it's weird, though, because, like, that in, self, that in itself can be, like, all that it takes to, like, truly make something funny because it's not like that laughter that you have isn't genuine. Uh, like, it's, it's real, but without, like, that, like, <laughs> without that studio audience and that, like, key to start, like, you can, the jokes just don't land right a lot of times. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But what I was saying about John Oliver, uh, he did a segment on food waste, and uh, he had like a clip of a person talking about food waste, and they were like, "Imagine if you left your grocery, if you left the grocery store with five bags full of food, and you were on your way to your car, and you just dropped one of the bags and never picked it up." And just kept going and just dropped off the food in your car. <laughs> That's what essentially people are doing all the time when, like, yeah, they had that much but, waste. But, yeah, in that, like, set up like that, though, that, that would be unimaginable to so many people. I know, but that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, that's that. That's the main reason why I literally all like I'm a vegan, and almost all of my vegan food like is frozen, like mm-hmm. all of it, because like I can't buy fresh. It's hard to buy. Like, I, if I buy fresh. I feel this this pressure to have to eat something because I just don't want it to go to waste. I agree. On that on that food on that note, I uh, I recently I through Facebook campaign actually noticed it. But have you heard of those uh, nugs? Those those uh, those vegan chicken nuggets? They're called just nugs. No, uh, uh-uh. 
But I ordered yeah, I, from a company called Gardein. I, I I bought some the other day, and they're actually really good, dude. Like super good. Tastes like like if if you didn't like know if somebody just put it in front of you and said, "Here's your chicken nuggets," like. You would just be like, "Huh, these are some new chicken nuggets I never had." It was, it was, it was really good. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm I, like, I'm probably four and a half years into my veganism. I think I'm a, about to hit five. Um, and um, the 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 way that it's become uh, like, like more approachable. Five years ago, I would have loved it, right? It, because like some of these meats taste so close to me. It's 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 not perfect, obviously, but like Beyond Meat is pretty ridiculous. Have you ever had Beyond Meat? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've had the Beyond Meat and I've had the Impossible Burger too. Yeah, I think I'm, Beyond. I'm much more of a fan of the Impossible Burger personally. I think so too. The only thing is, is that I'm at a point now in my veganism where I think my gut flora and it, dude, science is so crazy. We're starting to understand like your gut flora is like more impactful to your actual health than anything else like literally yeah yeah they're even they're even detecting uh, alzheimer's now through your gut microbes yeah it's like literally what your gut microbe organ like eventually we're going to get to a point where you can take like a shit exam and you're going to understand a lot more about a person than actually doing like a dna study on them it's (laughs) it's wild (laughs) you're going to go to a job interview and they're going to make you shit in a special toilet at like 30 years ago, if you told someone like there are people that literally to improve their gut flora, they take shit donations from other people and inject it into their butt, into yeah, their rectum. Yeah, fecal, fecal transplants. Yeah, you would, you would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's a, that sounds like some shit like Trey Parker and Matt Stanton. <laughs> <Yeah. South Park. laughs> but right, that's gonna, an actual we're gonna, thing. We're going to liquidize this turd from your mom and inject it up your anus. <laughs> but that is an actual thing. And it's super <laughs> beneficial. Like literally will help you. Like if you have a certain diet that you cannot consume, like all you need to do is get like – these injections from another person that could consume this food and literally you can consume that food as well. It's so crazy. But uh, the reason why I'm bringing that up is that I don't know what it is. I think it's, I'm assuming it's my gut flora. Dude, I cannot, I cannot go into a burger joint anymore. It makes me sick. It literally makes me sick. And there was one time. I would think it would have something to do with, with like the grease and the oils and stuff. I don't know Uh, what it is, but it's just the smell. Like even the smell is so bad for me. Um, and one time, this was like two years ago, I was, uh, I was like kind of buzz. Uh, this is like when I was drinking religiously and, uh, I went to the fridge. I was like, I had like the munchies. I was like high and, and drunk. And I went to the fridge and I saw some pasta in the fridge. I was like, oh, cool. Something quick that I can eat. And, uh, I started eating it and I didn't realize that Catherine, because she's not a vegan, she like eats a majority of like my vegan food, but she's just not subscribed to the whole idea yet. There, uh, there was actual chicken in it, bro. It made me sick. I thought like for 12 hours I was going to puke my brains out. Like I just, and I couldn't puke, but like, I just felt so disgusted. And that was just two years ago. I couldn't even imagine now if I were to eat that, I would. That's uh, wild, man. Yeah. It's so weird. Because like chicken, I used to love chicken. Like I would prefer chicken over like any other kind of meat, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But this just, uh, it was just gut wrenching. Um, what on on that note? What what initially uh, made you want to want to go to veganism? Was it because of the animal rights type no, thing? No, honestly, no. I've talked about this before. So my reason for doing it is really for just selfish reasons initially. But I've I've slowly just uh, like I've slowly 
now that my my lifestyle has changed, I've changed my perspective as to why I continue to be a vegan. Uh, but initially, it was just because I was too lazy to go to a gym and, and I was getting gaining a lot of weight from drinking all the time. And so I yeah, was like, well, like I need to make a diet change. So it was a diet, just a diet. It's yeah. I could care less about like killing an animal and eating off of it or whatever. But um, as I've like become more involved in the, in the vegan community and things of that nature, I can see the benefits not only from uh, a climate change perspective where essentially I didn't realize it, it was beyond me to really understand this idea until like I watched documentaries on, on veganism, how much waste there is in producing a pound of meat. It's, oh yeah, yeah, it's insane. It is the, the, wild. People don't realize that the, the the true cost of of beef and chicken and, and and all this is it's it's insane. Yeah, we because we think these animals just grow it. The like, amount of water that it takes to raise a cow or even a chicken is is phenomenal. It's wait, like I just that's funny that we brought this up just earlier today in my group chat uh, with a couple buddies. Um, my one friend Brett sh- uh, shared a comment here. He said. Uh, he said a dozen eggs is equal to 636 gallons of water. Yeah. He says every, every single egg requires an average of 53 gallons of water to produce. Chickens require water-intensive grain feed, um, about two pounds per every pound of chicken protein produced, as well as water for drinking and irrigation. So it, it's crazy to think that every time you eat an, an egg, a 55-gallon drum of water was was used to produce that egg like uh, that's insane like you don't no think about that. that though you know what i mean because a lot of people just the assumption is like oh food is just food like right but like like uh, really though if you think about it this is like another animal that you're raising from birth and you have to get fat and how do you get an animal fat you have to feed it you have to nurture this yeah. thing uh-huh. it just doesn't become like a big ass cow like on like day one when it comes out it starts off as a baby calf and you need to get this baby calf to be a fat effing cow and the only way you're going to do that is by giving it a ton of feed and a lot of water and, and it's also crazy too the amount of greenhouse gases that are produced by the beef industry alone uh, literally by the cows farting, dude. The methane, the methane produced by cows directly farting is like a, a large percent of like of like so, greenhouse gas. So to, to correct Brian on this, it's essentially cows don't fart; they burp. It's where they, it's, it's coming out of their yeah, mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah, but it's crazy because and then the other thing too is that methane, um, per like what science says, is a um, it's a denser. Uh, denser element and so it it's essentially like three times worse than carbon is yeah yeah it's even stronger than co2 yeah and it, like i don't i it was dude i used you you said this a long time ago and i i every by the way this argument gets people that are anti-climate change to uh shut up and i got this from you actually funny enough i'll never forget this argument that you said but um, I don't even remember the reference because I don't even think it had something to do with climate change, but you were like, would you wrap your mouth around the exhaust pipe of a car and, yeah. and, and, and breathe in carbon monoxide? No, you would fucking die. And so I, I like every single time I talk to someone as like a climate change denier, I'm like, okay, so like, what do you think happens with all the, like the stuff that we throw into the air? Do you think it kind of just like floats into space? Okay, fine. Like if you thought that that was the case, then why do we have an atmosphere? Like, well, how do we have oxygen in the air? Like, don't you, wouldn't your argument also say that all of that stuff would just flow mm-hmm. into space as well? Right? No, yeah. it stays here. It's contained within the atmosphere because there's a level of density behind it. 
And look, if you could believe that something clear like oxygen can stay weighted to the earth, why would it be so far-fetched to think of something that you can clearly see like smoke is not heavy enough to sit in the atmosphere? And so well, it's not it's not just the smoke from the cars too it's the gases themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's everything, right? It's it's just like uh it's all of this consumption that we have, right? And you, so people have a disconnect where they think like hey, it comes out of the tailpipe and it's gone, but like, <laughs> dude, we're, we're we're in a fishbowl, dude. Like it's it hasn't gone anywhere. It's still right next to you. <laughs> it, it takes you to go to like uh the early 2000s Beijing or like the uh like LA now like during like the, the wildfires as well, but like to live in an area where there's heavy levels of smog and to really grasp the idea of like how bad all of this stuff is. But I feel like there's just such a disconnect with people. And the, like, I, I think the worst thing that they did was they called it global warming back then. They should have just always called it like climate change because yeah. people are like, well, it's not. It's it's cold where I'm at. Just getting it colder. Got cold yesterday. The world ain't cold. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's not warming, and it's like that's not the point. The point is like your like temperature and weather systems are affected by heat, and like it, it, it is straight warming. Man, you talk to anybody, especially oh, it is straight in, warming. But I think if you talk to anybody that grew up in Florida, anyways, uh, like whenever you're a kid, dude. I remember like one of the like very fond memories of going out on my bicycle and stuff on Halloween as a kid, trick-or-treating, and fucking freezing my ass off, like, every year, dude. Like, it was always cold on Halloween. Uh, and, and now it's, like, October here was hotter than hell, dude. Like, there wasn't a single cold day in October. And, and like, that's something that you can point out to people, and, and almost everybody realizes that. Even climate change denier people will be like, you know, you're right. Uh, I, I do remember it being cold whenever I was a kid, and it kind of isn't anymore. And, and like, it, like, it boggles my mind that, like, we as people can understand, like, humans have created things like the atomic bomb, right? Like, things that could eradicate, like, cities instantaneously. So why would it be so far-fetched to think that over time, all of our smoke that we're throwing out there, or the waste that we're throwing out there, could not potentially affect climate. Like people have this idea that they think that like humans don't have this level of impact on, on, on a global yeah. sense. It's like, but like what would happen if we dropped 10 atomic bombs right now around the world? You, I mean, mm-hmm. everyone would be like, Oh my God, that's like global winter. Like, or like, you know, or uh, not global winter, but uh, like nuclear winter. You can't do that. That would affect like the climate. It's like, yeah. well, that's still a human-made thing. So, <laughs> I, I, I think a large thing that drives that is actually religion. Um, like Christianity in particular, like a lot of these people just have this belief in their head that uh, like God, God would have the foresight for that. Like if, if, if we were going to pollute ourselves to death, God would have seen that and, and accounted for that. You know, like, like they, they, just, they don't seem to realize that our actions have consequences. Like, even like uh, my mailman... Uh, here I've had a few conversations with him. He's a pretty devout Christian guy, and I was like, and he 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 personally believes in evolution, but only on animals and stuff. He doesn't consider like humans like animals. Like we're creations of God, and everything else is nature, and it evolves and does its thing. But like we're like somehow above that, and like a, a lot of people have that mindset where like humans are like somehow disconnected from this system and above it somehow, uh, and, and that's what gives them that thought process, that allows them to say like, hey, you know our emissions are killing us keep on burning that fuel this is why i want us to be visited by by not 
like UFOs, but like legitimately by aliens. So I could finally look at every single person that's religious and be like, so yeah, we were creating an image of God, but these super advanced beings, like what image were they created in? <laughs> like who, I I, right? I like, that would be cool, but I think so unlikely though. I don't think, I think that the, the math that governs the cosmos is going to prevent any really advanced civilizations. From I think it's time travelers, bro. I think it's I think it's time travelers. Yeah, I don't know. I, I so okay. So here's my here's my argument to why I think that. Um, uh, like all of these. Uh, have you been following the news? Like I'm, I'm so into like these. They're called UAPs now. Like the whole stigma of UFOs has just been connected to crazy people now. So like the the government's using the term UAPs now. Uh, That's a new term to me. What's UAP stand for? Uh, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. So, um, the government and so, uh, have you been following like the, like, do you listen to Joe Rogan or, or like any of those people? A little bit. I, I liked Rogan in the past more. I think he's kind of lost touch a little bit. Lately, I agree. So. I, I agree. But he actually had some, uh, some interesting people, but one of the people that he had on was this guy by, uh, uh, he, he was a, a aviator, uh, during the Gulf war commander Fravor. And, uh, he, witness one of the three videos that was released by the Pentagon uh, recently. Have you seen those videos? Uh, I've seen a couple of them. Uh, are, are you, I, I think the one that you're talking to, it it was from a fighter jet recorded. and It's like a uh, flur. It's like a thermal imaging that you're seeing. Right? Yeah, it was a thermal image. It was like a small object off in the distance. The fighter jet's moving really fast. You can see the, the it was zoomed in on it really closely, and so you can see the water moving behind it and stuff. Yeah, so that's one of them. So there was three essentially that were released, but um, one of the one of the ones that was released, uh, it, this is like uh, old, when I say old technology, it's like relative, like in two thousand, like military technology in, in the early two thousands during the Gulf War, but um, or not early two thousand nineties, excuse me. Um, and uh, they did have like the technology of like thermal imaging and things of that nature. But, um, dude, you have to look up the Nimitz, the, um, what is the, it's not the Nimitz, it's a Princeton sighting. And so essentially, um, a, the Princeton, which is like a destroyer off the coast, uh, just like right before the Gulf war, they were, um, doing training exercises and they were picking up radar signatures off the coast of like Mexico and California. And, um, while they were doing training out there and they couldn't explain these, the radar was picking up these crafts to be like at one point, like 40,000 feet up in the air and then instantaneously be like on near like ocean level. And they couldn't address like what that was. And other ships in the area were also picking up on, on these radar signatures as well. And so eventually while they were doing training exercises, they sent some of the fighter planes to actually go out there and make a a observation, like a visual observation of, of, these items, whatever it is, they wanted to see like whatever this anomaly could be. They didn't know if like it was an issue with the radar systems. And so commander Fravor was one of the, um, the first people to actually see these, these, uh, aircraft out there. And, and essentially the way he describes this is pretty wild. Essentially it's in the shape of a Tic Tac. What he saw was he saw something at like near ocean level, um, moving erratically as if like if you put a ping pong ball in a glass and was shaking it right it was just moving in an erratic area like near a surface of the water and it looked like it was gathering information from another craft underneath the water 
um, because he saw the first thing he noticed was wash over the ocean. But he said on that day it was clear skies and the water was flat. And if you've been out in the ocean, you know, like water can get super flat. If there's no uh, if there's no waves. And essentially, he was saying there was the water was super flat. But one of the things he noticed was like uh, like water breakage in the middle of the water. And so he assumed that it was a submarine at first that they were seeing. And um, but when he looked closer that's when he noticed this aircraft that was kind of erratically flying. And he was like, dude, the, the inertia of that craft, if someone was in that would die instantly. It was just, yeah, it would just liquefy anything. Yeah. It was wild. And dude, so it, if there, if there is to me, if there is any kind of like alien stuff here, it, it would have to be like either through robotics or through like advanced probes or something. Like I, I think, I honestly of, think like, it's dude. So I, I, I think if, if, if it was legit, like here's my argument. Why, if it was aliens, right? If it was uh, advanced, like even if it was like artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, actual physical beings, small beings, big beings, whatever they might be, whatever the physical anatomy or the structure to this intellect is, why would they always need to be like cautious about, like, why not just land in the middle of New York Square, like uh, Times Square, and just like be like, hey, we exist. Hello, everyone, right? Like, why would. Like if you understand the history of, of like what we do as like explorers, we are not shying away from like involving ourselves with like a lesser, lesser in- yeah. intellect. Making contact. Making contact. We always make contact. Yeah, you always you're always gonna make contact. You never observe like you do, but your initial interaction with something is always to make an initial approach, and then you kind of understand what the people are like, and then if they're hostile or they're sensitive to like an external stimuli, then you'll start to observe them, but like you'll make some initial contact. So why would these things be so afraid? Like if they're that advanced to make initial contact with humans. And if you understand anything about space or like time travel, they'll always the big argument, right? From like back to the future and everything of that nature, the grandfather paradox is that time travelers cannot be involved with any events that occur because if they are, they could potentially manipulate all aspects of what the future it'd be like a ripple in time and you could affect like all aspects of what the future could possibly be if you uh-huh. just interacted with one person and you told them that you were from the future yeah. and and so i feel like it would be so easy for them to just kind of play off the 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 idea of being extraterrestrials right and just being these conspiracies that can never be approached or understood because like aliens aren't going to change anyone's future i mean it could i guess in theory you could argue that Maybe one person will get into like a field of like study of aliens instead of like maybe going and becoming like a scientist in a different area. But I feel like uh, aliens and this idea of aliens has always existed. Um, Like time travelers could just kind of exist in that realm of possibility. Because like for me, I feel like if aliens existed and they for what and and all improbable probability. Haven't they failed at their mission now that we're talking about them? No, I mean honestly, like uh, I, you know, if we had the ability to time travel, uh, um, what is the study of 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 uh, it starts with an A? Is anthropology is like when you study like old civilizations, right? Any yeah. any researcher in that field would die to have the ability to travel back in time and look at like ancient Egypt or you know the the dinosaur time period, so they could actually understand what people were doing back then, mm-hmm. and. On that note, just real quick, have you have you seen the TV show Devs? No, I don't watch TV at all. 
Uh, well, it's it's on streaming. I think it's on Hulu or something. But check check it out, dude. It's it's it has to deal with a lot of this kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Devs. Yeah, devs. D E V S. Okay, cool. I'll I'll look it up. Um, so I and it it makes sense why there's a focus on our Earth, right? It it would make sense like it could be future beings that are trying to understand like where they are like why they are where they're at right now and trying to have a better understanding of like humans. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe uh, even beyond, like maybe more uh, crazy of an idea is that maybe it's the only way that we could physically see the people that created this, this like um, our universe. What is the idea? The, um, the hologram theory. Oh yeah, holograms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, like they're the only that's the only way in the physical sense that they can come here and observe like what's going on in this video game. Um, I don't know. Like, I, obviously, I don't know. Like, you know, no one will know. But this is a perfect example of something that we can generally agree on, but uh, have disagreements as well. Where, where I definitely, without a doubt, am confident that there is life out there in the cosmos, but. I'm fairly certain that it's never been to Earth. No, and it's improbable. Like, I mean, literally, <laughs> we are so insignificant. Like, even yeah. if you if you were to pick up our radio waves, stupid. we were the only life in the universe like that. That idea is retarded. <laughs> yeah, uh, like that idea is just it's like for people to actually think that we're the only life out like. And like in this universe that is so insane. Like, have you looked in a telescope? I mean, the only people that could believe that are, uh, like the NASA, uh, conspiracy people, you know, the ones that don't believe that there's an actual space. Like it's all, it's all like a figment of imagination. <laughs> I think we can lump flat earthers in there too. <laughs> oh my God. I love those people, dude. They're the best. I love, there's a really good, there's a really funny documentary, uh, called behind. The I Earth. saw it. Uh, I saw it at the very end when the guy, the flat oh. earther himself, like disproves oh, himself. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> he goes through. He's like, I'm buying this expensive laser. And well, no, no, that, no, that was that was earlier. The end was whenever they go out to that big ass uh, like canal where they could like and they shine the laser. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it. he like bought all this equipment. And he was like, I know, like if the Earth is flat for sure, this laser is going to be perpendicular to like this area on the other yeah. side of the creek and i we've measured like the distance to everything exactly like <laughs> yeah the, the laser dr- like drops down like it's mark lower and his friend uh, on the other side it's like picking up on the readings is like dude i'm not so yeah <laughs> i'm not making like this the, up I, I like the other guy too that bought like the thirty thousand dollar ring laser gyroscope and and, <laughs> and and they like they're like this is gonna prove it once for all that it's all bullshit and they like fire it up and it's exactly perfect and they're like scared to tell people about it <laughs> dude it's so hilarious it i mean honestly uh i watched uh have you ever heard of vsauce uh dude i've heard of the name but i can't tell me what it is dude vsauce on youtube is like they don't it's so annoying uh michael stevens is the host of it but he he doesn't really do many uploads anymore but dude just watch old vsauce stuff it's really great but uh essentially michael stevens does a really good job of like he starts the video off about talking about a, a point like i don't know like why why do we have two nostrils and he just gets off into a tangent about other things until he eventually gets to the idea of why we have two nostrils in the first place. But like he, uh, he did a segment on flat earthers and why uh, some of their stuff is believable. And, and his argument was if you took like, if you took 
each individual argument, you could, in theory, if you only heard that specific argument, could believe that we do live on a flat earth. But the problem with flat earth theory is that when you start involving all other aspects of uh, like when they try to address um, why the earth isn't flat and then they come up with a reason why that works and that works. Like if you were to merge all those ideas together, it doesn't. It, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any yet. sense. It, it starts. I, to, I, I, have some, I have some legitimate flat earther friends too, by the way. Oh, I, I do. I have a ton. I have a ton of friends that are flat earther believers. Or at least I used to think we're actually like quite intelligent and stuff in high school. Uh, uh, buy into that stuff. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand the premise. I mean, I I can understand like the the idea, right? Like if you get so involved into the conspiracy ideas, like I I like I enjoy conspiracies, and I know we're yeah, going to talk about them. Entertaining, dude. They're interesting. They are interesting, but and, I, and some of them they're seated in truth, you know. Yeah, but I I know that there's a point where I just. I'm like, this is really stupid. Like, if people actually believe this, this is, like, really dumb. Like, it can't be this crazy. I mean, the only way it could be this crazy is if legitimately we are a hologram and the programmers up there are just messing with us. Dude, they're just, like, dialing some people's crazy numbers. (laughs) They are actually making it realities, but only for certain people. You know? Like, because, like... (laughs) Yeah, certain people legitimately live on a flat earth. Yeah. <laughs> but we just will never know because perception is a really interesting idea as well, right? Like perception is like every person, like nothing about this world that we live in, uh, every person is going to perceive the same. Mm-hmm. That idea always has boggled my mind. And just how how easily fooled our senses could become, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's wild. There's like optical yeah. illusions for every sense. I did not know that. I thought there was only optical illusions, but there are... Yeah. All aspects of illusions. Yeah, dude, the, the auditory illusions are wild. Dude, dude they're but so weird. I, I didn't learn about those until a few years ago. But that the whole thing, uh, there's this thing. You play this noise, and it, and you, and sometimes you hear brainstorm, and sometimes you hear green needle, and it's the same thing. Like it's it's so weird. Like uh, you, yeah, you wouldn't think of an auditory hallucination or an auditory uh, 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 illusion. Illusion, like work it, it, it just not something that would just add up in your head just thinking about until you hear it dude it's so weird i've watched videos on it the only one i haven't done is like a um an olfactory one that like is on like your your sense of smell um dude, but I, I saw this uh like japanese developed uh device that you could like stick on your tongue and through like different electrical impulses could make you taste pretty much any flavor like, you can be like, I want to taste a burger, and they dial in burger on the machine, and you put it on your tongue, and it tastes like a burger. <laughs> that's, why, that's why, honestly, and I, I like, um, I'm I am totally, like, that could be in its own podcast, but, like, the hologram theory, for sure, I, I honestly believe it. Like, um, it's not so far-fetched. Like, technology right now, the realism, like, the... Well, then, but, see, but to me, though, like, that kind of breaks something, because if we are living in a hologram, wouldn't that imply that there is a higher power and and perhaps maybe not a god but there there is like an, another being above us you know like, but but the to idea me, to me, that's the end game of hologram is that there's obviously something running the hologram but but here's the point to yours though like when people are like they talk about that and they're like well see isn't that a god then i'm like not necessarily because the idea of a god is that they're omnipotent and and they're all of those things right but 
You could be a programmer. Christian God, but yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Maybe there is, I mean. Like, they're, maybe yeah. they're just a programmer that, like, essentially, just like any other programmer, right? You could have a, a really stupid programmer, like, like worldly views, but creates a universe that essentially has, like, super smart artificial intelligence inside of it. And, uh, like, in his world, he's, like, the dumbest person ever. Like, I mean, not the dumbest because he created something, but, like, he's yeah. legitimately... There could, uh, there could be much greater things than him, yeah. Yes. And so, like, I, like my idea is, like, this: whoever created this doesn't really necessarily need to be the smartest being ever. They just, you know... So what's going to happen, though, whenever we get our own hologram uh, dimension going? Is this is this whole fucking world just going to divide by zero? <laughs> Are we going to instantly max out its computational power? <laughs> Dude, who knows? I mean, like, uh, I mean, there, there's an argument that it just, that's the Fermi paradox, right? That, like, essentially, that's why we don't detect life out there, is, is that it, we could potentially be the only source of life, it, uh, essentially, because, like, the probability that someone would create that level of, of technology would already exist by now. You know what I mean? And so maybe we're just an experiment, and then eventually, like, uh, we we create one one thing that gets too close to what they're talking about, like what that universe is like, and they just end the experiment, like it, like just obliterating that civilization or whatever. It's it kind of crazy too, because like the nature of the way light travels and stuff. Like even with our telescopes, like we can't look at modern day, like where we are, like where t- time is at right now for us, a billion light years away. Like we can only see that shit a billion light years ago. So like. Who knows? We could be staring at the beginnings of of the next civilization right now, and they're very real and very alive. But we're just seeing the billion years ago light from their from their billion year old ancestors. I did not know this, but um, dude, this is wild. Um, did you know we can't actually measure the speed of light? What do you mean by that? Explain. Uh, so. Like everyone knows what the speed of light is, right? Like it's like one hundred eighty-two thousand. Yeah, some kind of constant. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a constant. Like, it, like measuring things, you can see that speed, but you cannot actually confirm that the speed of light is actually that amount or that, because like the the way to measure speed is like dividing distance by time, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no way of saying like light doesn't travel, like light doesn't react 182,000 meters per second squared or whatever it is. Like, um, you don't know if it like the, like 99% of that second lights not doing anything. And then instantaneously it goes back and forth between the target. Yeah. Like you you can't measure the actual speed. You can just know the effect of like over that distance of, of, like over that distance, this is how fast light is supposed to come back and forth. But there's no way of actually knowing if that light, if that light is traveling instantaneously, or if it's actually taking that amount of time. Like they say, the light. Well, of- it, it depends. It depends on your perspective, because like from the perspective of a photon, it does transmit instantly because all time around it is stopped. Yeah. But but like but standing back and watching a photon going across, it does have an actual speed. It's weird. It's just yeah, it's a lot of paradox with that kind of stuff. Dude, the universe is so crazy, and that, like that that insanity behind it is why I think, um, and it's all math based too. Like how one, could you... one of the biggest things that blows my mind is that like 
there's literally like physics changes when you get far enough away. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like nothing else changes. It's like, oh, this and this, and this holds true while we're over here. But if you're fucking 50 light years away, the physics is completely different. Or how like, how like, uh, like, um, gravity is like this all powerful thing, but like a simple refrigerator magnet could defy the, the gravity of earth. Like we still don't understand like how gravity can have such a large scale strength, like in an outwardly view, like on like a long distance, but like yeah, in a small moving, distance, moving galaxies around, but then yeah. But in a small distance, it doesn't do anything at all. It's it's. I think that's just the nature of being in a, a frictionless environment with a field that scales infinitely. And then there's this whole like weird stuff, like the double slit experiment, um, like quantum entanglement, and. Right. Uh, if this is a hologram, man. They set this shit up crazy for us. They made they didn't make this shit easy. But you don't necessarily need to render that much, though. You know what I mean? You could just like that's like where the flat earthers argument could have some validity is that you only have to simulate so far before like you could just make up shit on like a on like a like a let's say like they say that you cannot travel outside of our solar system and solar system i mean like the Oort cloud like it would take forever with current technology to get yeah. outside the Oort cloud it would take like two hundred fifty thousand years just to travel what outside if, of what if, what if what if we're just burning processing power that's why shit's getting weird because we sent that voyager probe out <laughs> voyager one and two and horizon are literally causing an overload on yeah, the system it's fucking everything up <laughs> carl sagan dude <laughs> Oh my god! But um, anyways, dude, we're, so many great things to talk about in the future. But I, dude, I'm fascinated by that stuff. Like honestly, it's like the biggest fascination is, um, just how weird quantum physics and real physics are. It's just the weirdest thing. And it's it's weird too because they're obviously related, but they're so different. And and they obviously like like real physics are real, but. Are separate from the quantum. Know, like solid. in the macro scale, right? What we can see, everything is manipulated by the micro scale of things, and yet mm-hmm. we don't understand how the micro system works. But we understand so the further how, away you get from something, the more the physics changes. Yeah, it's, just, it's so weird. Just, even like the more you zoom in, the more it changes. The more you zoom out, the more it changes. It's it's such a it's such an interest. And then this whole pursuit of trying to unify the two, I don't think we'll ever get there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's inevitable because it's it's. I mean, obviously, we're here. There is some kind of unification. So <laughs> I don't I, think we're I, ever going to that level. Though it's going to take, so, it's going to be to the point of that. that that's dividing by zero like, for you, that, dude. That, when we do that, that's when the system shuts down. That's that's what that show. Without ruining too much of that TV show, devs, uh, they more or less build this quantum computer that is able to both pro like sense. So like every time an atom, like, bounces across each other. So if you know the position of one oxygen molecule, okay, you can kind of know the position of the surrounding oxygen molecules by the way it's behaving, you know? But you can say, hey, it bounced off this one at this point. But if you extrapolate that both ways, you could see completely in the past and in the future, you know? Oh, yeah. Say, and, and so that, that's what devs is kind of getting at. They make this supercomputer that can can calculate everything going forward and going backwards. And uh, it's just crazy. Like there's no such thing as random technically. Yeah. Like everything, like if you knew enough, you could calculate like the actual results of things like dice rolls, coin flips, like everything. Mm -hmm. Like if you understood like 
the magnitude of like the strength to me like what about like whenever you bring like the human psyche into that equation though like can we truly be calculated or like uh, i don't know I mean, I think I I think so because like I mean that's the only reason that marketing exists, right? It's yeah. like the only reason like, there like no, I hate no when people are like you can't generalize no me to every situation, you know? Yeah, but I mean like if you understood enough about a person, that's why like that Cambridge Analytica thing was so powerful. Was with enough information about like enough categorical information about people, you could isolate them in different, um with a high level of, 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 of guarantee, you could isolate people into different categories of anything that you wanted to know about them. Like, is this person more likely to own a gun or not? Is this person more likely to vote against like abortion or not? Like, is this per like, or even get more complex than that because you could just argue like a conservative would be yes or no on that. But like, like, is this person more likely to buy a pink pen or not? Like, based off of all these people's information, the way that they answered on their profile and everything of that nature, you could almost categorically say like this type of person with these fields is going to buy a pink pen like in their lifetime. And mm-hmm. um, I, it's just, again, that goes all the way back to like your, your oxygen molecule thing. Like if you understood enough about a person, you remove the whole aspect of the uniqueness of a person, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like there has to be something beyond that. Look, uh, there's nothing original about people. Like, uh, like that's another thing. Like, I, I, I enjoy having arguments with people. There's no such thing as originality. Like, every aspect of yourself has to have gained origin from some external stimuli. Yeah, def- I agree, definitely. So, like, there's no such thing as an originality. Like, your jokes, your everything comes from. Well, something. I, I think you, you can be you can be orig- original in the way that you can take two things from two different sources and combine them in a way that's never been combined before. And, and, and so I, I think you can be original, I, th- I think, but if it's you're original through by adding to someone else's thing that was made before you, you know, you know, what's the, the least understood, but most original thing is if you take a, a, a deck of 52 cards and shuffle that deck, that deck has never been in that same arrangement of cards ever in the history of the universe. Yeah, I, I know. That's insane. <laughs> when I heard that fact, I was like, what are you talking about? That's so stupid. Of course it has. Like, play poker or anything. Or just Dude, a traditional card game. Nope. Nope. If you actually know math, if you took the the likelihood of that happening, there's not even enough atoms in the observable universe to to ever account for like that sequence of cards. And I was like, no way. Yeah, way, dude. Like, if you do 52 by 51 by 50 by 49 by 48. Yeah, yeah, that's an absurdly large number. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, dude. It's, it's like crazy, a- too, how, like, large numbers come into play so much in, like, day-to-day activities. Like, something like that where you don't even need to comprehend large numbers. <laughs> but, but, but where it's, like, we're... We're making games based off of it without even knowing about it. Yeah, or how it's so easy for people to grasp the idea of infinity, but then like to visualize infinity is like near impossible, like in the in the physical sense. Yeah. Like you could sit there in your brain and literally traverse the cosmos in your mind, right? Like I could, I could go an infinite distance in my brain easily, but yeah, like. You go- you only went an infinitely small amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or how, how high or how like in between zero and one, there's a larger infinite than zero to infinity. That blew yeah, my that, mind. That's another thing that's crazy is the level. The fractal. Of yeah. Different levels of infinity. I was like, what? Mind blown, dude. You would think like there's just infinity is infinity, but it's not. 
case. You know, there's bigger infinities than other infinities. <laughs> It makes you think of like back in the day when you were like, well, I'm like, I'm right. Infinity plus one. Like, it's like, it sounded so stupid, but legitimately there's actual different levels of infinities out there. Mathematically. Doesn't even make any sense. Anyways, let's get into home ownership, dude. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's okay. So, okay. So, uh, you own your home, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You own, you own your home. And so. Not outright paying a mortgage yeah you're still paying a mortgage okay and is this your first uh fine like your first mortgage yeah yeah okay this is my first time my bad okay okay and so before that well it was like pretty much renting all the time yeah before that uh i I had two places that i rent the the first rental unit that i was in was in like an apartment complex and like i like really quickly learned like that was not for me too much rules, people complaining. I had like a little grapevine with a trellis in my backyard and the people left me a note on my door to fucking remove my trellis. I was like, fuck you guys. It was just great. <laughs> just so many people just up my ass about just everything, dude. Parking in the street and this and that. And so like, I got out of that situation pretty quick. I actually broke my lease early. I'm just like, fuck this place. I got to get out of here. Um, Did you have to pay a penalty I, for that? I, huh? Did you pay a penalty for that? Uh, dude, I, I don't even care. I just took the credit hit. I was I, I was so pissed off at the at the whole management of the place. I, I was like, you guys aren't getting my money. I'd rather have the credit hit. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> They'll come back in seven years. Screw you guys. Yeah, seriously. Um, I, I still see it. I still I owe them like thirteen hundred bucks or something. I owe them like a, like a month's worth of rent, but I'm never paying them. <laughs> it's a principle <laughs> of the idea. Uh, Fuck the so, two hundred points to my credit. Like, <laughs> yeah, my credit's good enough. I don't care. So, uh, and and so uh, after that, um, I moved to a duplex uh, that was run um, by like a small um, management company from a private owner, and I actually really enjoyed living there. It was nice. Um, I didn't have all the freedoms that I wanted. I didn't have the space that I wanted. Um, but it was definitely a major upgrade, and I, and I was comfortable there for like uh, I lived there for two two and a half years or three years uh, before I bought this place here, and uh, actually continued. Yeah, I continued uh, renting there for about six months while I while I remodeled this house and got ready to move in and everything. What um what do you, uh, what is your biggest uh, for argument? And then here's a plot twist: What is your biggest argument against? Uh, owning, and I'll give you my my biggest for and biggest against uh, renting. So my biggest for would be, uh, in a way, you're building equity in yourself by renting. Uh, every payment you make, owning, owning, mortgage, owning. It, it, every, yeah, yeah, owning. Every payment you make on a mortgage is essentially a payment in your own pocket. Um, you're you're paying yourself to live. Because you know? whenever you own the house and it's free and clear, and you decide to sell it, you get all that money back. Um, the biggest disadvantage I would say would just, if you're not a handy person and not prepared to take on, you know, the tasks that come with home ownership, um, it could get very expensive if you're constantly having to contract out to do, to do simple things. Um, so definitely like being a handy person and home ownership go hand in hand. Um, that, that would be one of the biggest downsides I would think for a lot of people that, would get overwhelmed, you know, and, and pay too much money for services and repairs and stuff that they could have probably done themselves if they if they if they took the time. 
Okay. Uh, so mine for and against renting. My four would be flexibility. I think it's the biggest reason why uh, renting is actually great in the sense that um, if you are the type of individual that has uh, uh, the ability, I do not enjoy this, this uh, the way people have been doing it forever where it's like you sit in a city and you live there for the rest of your life. Um, I, I am totally okay with just living anywhere in the world. Like if I have the means to do that, that would be my predominant choice would be to just kind of bounce around and, and live it and live in different parts of the world. And I think the, uh, renting gives me that level of flexibility more so than owning. And, And I'll go into why more, I know some of the arguments for like why, you would say like you can own and then like rent it out to people and then still generate wealth and things of that nature. And, and yeah, it's not, exactly. you, could yeah, your, it's, you could pay your mortgage back <clears throat> through renting out your own house. So it's not beyond me, but we'll get into like going back and forth on that point. So, but the, the biggest one for renting is the flexibility, right? You could also negotiate leases. You don't have to do a traditional 12 month. You could do like a six month, three month. It's really up to you uh, yeah, and you the landlord. Month, yeah. The, the biggest downside is, um, I would say the uh, the like going into what you were saying, the lack of willpower or ability to make any kind of drastic changes to your living situation. But those things can be alleviated with your understanding of what you actually want and not just signing a lease for whatever property. But that is like if let's say you, you sign the lease because – that's the only thing available in the area that you want to live in and you just, you're not happy about it. Oh, well, I mean, you're fucked. Like you're, you're going to have to wait until your lease is over or, or just do what you did essentially kind of like break the lease um, and, and get out because you're not going to be able to go around what the landlord uh, says. And um, so there's a lack of uh, freedom once you're locked into the lease. Um, now to go towards why I think renting is more, uh, why renting ultimately is better than financing is that in over the course of, um, in our lifetime, let's just use our lifetime over the course of our lifetime, you, uh, real estate values have gone through some major changes, some like eradicacies within the valuations, depending on the area too. You, I mean, you could alleviate that by, investing in a brand new area and then just kind of writing out and hoping that that area is going to become like a popular region and the values will go up. But generally in like other areas, you've seen like these erratic jumps in the last 20 years, but traditionally it is going up. It's, tra- it's trajecting up like for property values. It's, it's, it's supply and demand, man. They're not it is. New properties. But the, the, uh, the issue with that is that um, to buy a home, you just don't go, like 20 years ago, like before you could easily buy a house with no money down or anything of that nature. So it requires some initial investment that you can alleviate that with an FHA loan or, or military loan. Like if you've served in the military, you could do zero down and have low interest, but that's only nowadays too. interest interest rates are where the best they've ever been right now. They are currently. Right. But that, that you can only use your argument like in, in the context of now, we're talking like in general. Like, I don't want to use like. So, see, to 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 counter you there, I, I didn't go that route. Um, I, I actually got pretty. I did pretty well with Bitcoin, um, and I, I used pretty much all my Bitcoin gains to make my down payment on my house. 
Um, but I actually went uh, with like a private mortgage rather than a conventional bank mortgage uh, just because of the nature of the loan that I was getting. Uh, the house had been foreclosed upon and there was issues um, and, and the banks were just moving really, really slow and I needed to like move really, really fast. Uh, the house was, I already had like 11 or something people like trying to close on it before me. They couldn't close on it because of the issues. So I wound up going a private money route, uh, which, which luckily I got a, a good rate with the investor that I found. Uh, I was a friend of a friend. But uh, that actually, without the private money loan, wouldn't have been possible uh, just because the banks weren't, couldn't move fast enough to, to make it happen, to, to make it close on time. Yeah, and that is an option, definitely, like a, a private investor. Like, I mean, if you have the means and the ability to do that, sometimes you do get a worse rate, but you get a better availability of funds. Because yeah, yeah, banks... dude, like literally, I was trying to do a conventional mortgage, and it was like, we need this, we need that, we need this. We're yeah, underwriting so, is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like, especially for self-employed. Like, I'll just do the private money. Dude, 24 hours later, it was done. And yeah. It was done. Like it was insane. It's insane how much faster things move that way. Like yeah. Private. So pri- pri- private is definitely, uh, it, it's good. But again, like I said, like you're, you're the, and rem- I, like, uh, I, I've like, um, I've studied finance and like investment. So I'm, I'm going to be coming at this like, uh, to you is more in a sense of like, um, return in a percentile sense. <clears throat> so if you do private, if you do private, you tend to uh, pay a higher rate tend to i mean if you have a friend of a friend and like they're offering yeah, you I, one the, the rate is i'm still paying a higher rate than what i could refinance now with the conventional loan and get a better rate but uh, i'm just honestly lazy about it and the difference isn't that much it's but that, deal that, that difference is an amount that you can't account for and so it, it actually is a considerable amount and i really should refinance to a conventional <laughs> but the thing is is like I'm, I'm paying my mortgage off so aggressive that i'll have my house paid off in 2024 so it's like hardly worth it for me to do it you know like yeah. i will save a considerable amount of money but uh, i just i don't want to deal with the banks on the same level so i think when when i i, I approach this argument um i i like i want to approach it in a generalization format there are p like there are opportunities to yourself or to i or to other people where the the, the struggles or like the traditional way of doing things is um, not generally like, like we, we probably benefit in, in other areas. Like right, we have like friends or we have like contacts or we have people that can make the system a little bit easier for us. But in traditional sense, like in quotation marks, like when you talk about the traditional sense of owning a home. Yeah. First time buyer going to the bank. Yeah. So you're first time buyer. You're going to be going to the bank. I mean, like unless you do like a lot of research and, all of these things, which these, all these opportunities are out there for you, right? You can get, you can get grants. Like if you're a first time home buyer, you can get grants yeah, for your yeah, down there's payments. Crazy there's a lot there. of opportunities. I'm not going to disenfranchise that, but in, in traditional sense, um, and that's really based off your state, your county and your municipality. So like, that's not necessarily always there for everyone. And it's like a first come first cup. Uh, yeah. First come first. What, first. how does that go? It's like first, first, first yeah, first served. Yeah. Um, basis traditionally for like those grant programs, but there are programs for like assistance for first time home buyers. So like if you're a first time home buyer, the only thing is that you cannot make it an investment property. It has to be your homestead. So mm-hmm. FHA, you cannot bend, like you can't just FHA loan and then lease it out to someone else in theory, because if you do, you're going to pay a lot of fines for that. And, um, there's a lot of issues with that. So you have to live in that house. Uh, for X amount of time, I forget how much time, but there's an X amount of time you have to actually live in that house. 
Uh, I think it's until like you don't require the insurance on an FHA loan. And then after that, I think you can do whatever you want. But um, so you can, uh, you could do as low as like 5% um, as a first time home buyer, right? But if you're going at the approach of a first time home buyer, then it, it defeats the argument of using that property as an investment property because now you're forced to have to live in this house unless you have some justifiable means as to well, it, why it could still be a long-term investment. It can, but the thing is is that you can't project the the valuation of that house over any X amount of years. Just like you can't with stocks, right? Like I'm I'm going at this in a logical sense. You can a a, a hurricane or a nuclear bomb could blow up in your in in like a mile away and devalue but, your property. Yes, yes, yes and no, yes and no because I can tell you 10 years from now, the S&P 500 will be higher than it is currently. Traditionally, traditionally, like I, historically. I have fairly high confidence I could say that. Yeah, of course. Like I would I would agree with you. Like if you look at the Dow Jones, traditionally, um, it's, I mean, even if you accounted for all the bad recessions or depressions, if you've if put your money away 30 years ago, it's always going to be up. How much up that is, you, it's hard to determine, but it's going to be up and it's going to be up a, a considerable amount. Like I think if you take any 30, 30 year gap, uh, it's like a seven to 8% if you do it like very uh, um, conservatively Conservative. and yeah. then you could go as high as like 12, 15% of a return if you do like really uh, aggressive. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more aggressive in your investment, right? So, but let's look at just like a uh, conservative, right? Let's look at S and P seven to eight percent, right, of a return. So that means if you took a hundred thousand dollars, your first year you're going to be making eight grand, or let's say seven grand. We'll just keep it keep it easy, seven percent, uh, seven grand your first year. But then uh, compounding interest occurs, right? So like you can't just say seven grand every year. You make interest to seven percent on the one oh seven now every year. So um, compounding interest could become a factor into why home ownership, if you look at it in the standpoint of investments, isn't really smart in the sense that if you were to be smart and make some traditional sacrifices of renting, you could take the money that you're saving and put it into um, investment accounts that could traditionally get you more of a return than you would get from just putting all that money into a house. I, I would disagree with you there because uh, in my experience, rent is almost always considerably higher than a mortgage. Uh, and so your day-to-day operating expenses are actually expanded by homeownership rather than, than diminished. If you um, only because- if you only account for the actual face cost of like rent and mortgage, but the problem is is that you have to account for other things as well. Tax. Yeah, there, 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 there is maintenance and there maintenance, is taxes and stuff. But and- even with that stuff accounted for, you're set, you're, you're your day-to-day finances, you're going to have more money in your pocket at the end of the month. I want to say, I think the the difference between a mortgage and rent, I think it's like 10 to 15% of a difference, right? But so, uh, it's more than that, dude. Uh, so put it this way, I was paying 1400 a month for my duplex in Palm Coast, um, which was smaller than my house now uh, on a, like a one and a half acre lot, basically. Um, my mortgage for my property here is $800 a month is my minimum payment. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, but like at so the same said, time, so just after I put down my down payment, my, I've, I've almost doubled the amount of cash I get to, I get to keep, you know, but your down payment, how much of a percentage of down did you have to put down? I put 20% down. Okay. So you see, so that, that money is something, right? So that money, if you were to 
uh, let's say you are paying a little bit more in rent, but you have that large amount that you put away, like towards it's, an it's investment. Not a little bit more. It's, it's in my experience, it's considerable double. I would say. About, I don't think about. it's double. I, I I don't. I think that would that if if it is, it's due to right now, like right now issues, like or like issues where like the real estate uh, there's not enough properties out there. I'm, so I'm that's. Just saying, I'm just saying. I was I was renting at fourteen hundred dollars a month just a house. I now have a house and 14 acres for $800. But how much do you think? I pay pay double on my mortgage. But how much do you think your rent would be at your same property? Because it has to be apples to apples. Like your duplex where it was located. If you were to rent this place out, it would probably be $2,500 a month, I would guess. I don't think so, dude. For a a home on 14 acres? I don't think you can't account for the land in rent i don't think i don't i think it's more like the amenities that you get i mean somebody who's going to want to have more land is going to naturally have more stuff you know they're they're going to have horses they're going to have their cat they're going to have more things that take more costs that require more stuff you know but you as the but you as the the, uh the rentor could argue that the land isn't where the, the cost is going for like like the mortgage is the most expensive i still have the land i can still do whatever i want with the land still my land I, I yeah in theory but like again like that's like if the if the uh if the rentor wants to agree to that aspect of it as well though because yeah. like you know like ultimately there there is choice in that like i don't have to sign the lease on a property where like the landlord's going to tell me like hey like yeah you can live on the land but i'm i'm going to do whatever i want on the other 13 13 yeah. acres and like I mean, fuck there, you there is absolutely bad real estate deals but there it, it, if you do if you do your good due diligence and, and if you if you look at the market and and see where you're going, I you can reasonably say I am going to get a return a profitable return on this property. I, I, th- I mean, it's, it's not a, like it's, a, it's, it's not is, like when you buy a house, it's a fifty fifty coin flip on if you're going to make money or not. But so you also worth. don't know what that amount is because traditionally, if you took that same argument of the thirty year segment for real estate, the the gains. Uh, accounting for inflation as well is not as much as the markets. And when you account for like 30 years in like, let's say even one or 2%, that's a huge, that's a huge metric that you're, that uh, influences like at the end, like one to 2% compounding uh, over 30 years is ridiculous. Like let's, you know, at like the lower level, it could be a million, but 2%, which you would you would think it's like maybe two three million? No, it's like five, fifteen million dollars that you're gonna be you're uh, gonna be missing out on because of that um, that percentage variation um, over the course of time. And real estate does not make that level of of drastic. Uh, it does not. Real estate does not go up. It's traditionally, seven percent. It doesn't. I think it like the over like if you did generalize like over the scope of the United States, I think that traditionally it's like two and a half percent. It goes up. So it, it all depends too, you know, like if you're getting a good deal or not. Like, so the, what I bought is, was, was a foreclosed house that had issues uh, that made it really impossible for a lot of people to close on. And because of that, it was priced significantly below market value, which made it a really good deal for me. But you, but um, you can't take uh, an individualized perspective on this argument is what I'm trying to say. It's like, you, like a, again, you could... You could argue that like what happened to you, it plays into your favor, but that's like when you look at the scope of like, uh, like in general, that's not like most people buy a house because like it's uh, assumed that like this is going to generate a return for me, and it does generally like at the end of your mortgage. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't think people should go into a house 
purely looking at it as an investment as far as is this going to how is this going to help my bank account because I think it, I think home ownership can help you beyond that. Um, not only that, say you say you do say okay, I do get my house paid off, okay, and and something considerable happens, uh, medical wise or something, I could refinance my house and have a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars like that, you know. But you could also um, it, have that in a like a Roth IRA or a traditional uh, IRA as well, technically like a 401k and do the same thing. And and those investment tools lenders, actually, I'm just saying lenders love houses, dude. They love they love a house being backed as collateral because it shows you're really in it, you know. But they also um, love it, cash more than collateral, though, as well. Cash is like the best form of collateral. Yeah, but I mean, what do you if you have cash already? What are you lending for cash? Like, I mean, because you could leverage your cash for other things, technically. Yeah, you know what I mean? Say, it's, okay, I, I'd say I have ten thousand dollars in the bank, but I need a hundred thousand dollars. How how are you going to get there? What do you mean? How are you going to leverage ten thousand dollars cash to get somebody to give you a hundred thousand dollars? I mean, generally collateral is about like ten ten to twenty percent. I mean, technically, like if your collateral is that, I mean, that's normally assumed to be all right. Yeah, but, I mean, but if you've got a house to put on the line, you're going to get significantly better. But you're rates. not putting ten thousand dollars on the line, though. You're putting a considerable amount more money down the, on the line in your argument. You know what I mean? Like you're not putting just ten thousand. You're not saying like, hey, I'm giving you ten percent of my deed to my house. I'm giving you my whole deed. Like if, if something happens and if I don't give back this, this money, you know what I mean? Like if I don't give you back a hundred thousand dollars, it's not like I'm losing $10,000 worth of house. I'm losing my whole house, which is a considerable amount. Apples to apples is not the same. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And so like, uh, like I think like if you, I mean, there are, there are benefits to owning homes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue against it, but like, in the sense that like if you were to be very responsible with your finances and very responsible about your means, right? You could find exactly I, mean, I, I hate to say it, but most people aren't. Like, most most aren't. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, I think home ownerships is is a good way to force people into those positive ways of, of, of building equity. Yes, but at the same time that also forces people to probably be in the levels of depression that they are in right now because of the fact that they just don't feel like a level of flexibility that they once had as well. Cause like, I think uh, there was a study done by CNBC on millennials that argued why uh, a lot of millennials were actually depressed about home ownership. And I think the biggest reason is because people in our age group tend to be uh, a lot more flexible about their living arrangements, their jobs, and everything of that nature, right? Like if I work in yeah. Chicago, but then I get a job that's offer a, that's a, in Canada. That's a sword though, because you're, you're giving flexibility to, you know, drop everything and you're giving up that flexibility to be able to move like that. But then again, tomorrow I can decide I want a gazebo and I can build a goddamn gazebo. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I don't have to ask anybody permission to build a gazebo. It's, a, it's my gazebo. No, but you can find a gazebo in like the next area that you're moving to. Yeah, but then your landlord's like, eh, I don't want you to put the gazebo on here. No, so but I mean, you could already find a property with a gazebo. Yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, you gain a lot. You gain a lot of freedom in the essence that you get to make choices that are solely up to you. You don't. But the, have but to the thing, permission. but the thing that really influences people is not necessarily the house that they live in, because if that were the case, 
then uh, the stay-at-home orders would have been a blessing for a majority of homeowners uh, during the COVID See, I, pandemic. I feel that way. Uh, I mean, I, I've taken, I've taken. I, I'm in to- your, I'm in your boat as well. Like I, I've enjoyed. I'm very comfortable just living in my home all day long and not being exposed yeah. to uh, people. But yeah, I'm home now. I'm, I'm motivated to upgrade my home. I'm motivated to expand my yard to to help help Emily, my wife, uh, with her gardening and making the property look nice and stuff. Uh, it's just. Uh, it's nice to have your own little space to come home and, and it's it's yours. It's not somebody else's. It's truly yours. But that's not the reality for a majority of America that uh, ultimately – and then the other – so the other issue as well is that technically – and this is another point I was going to get to – is that when you own a home, you don't own the home until you pay off the note on the – that you have with the bank or with a private lender or whoever it is. Technically, they're your landlord. And um, if you go to a bank... Not necessarily. I mean, it is, it's in your name. It's yours. I mean, the, You don't have the deed. The deed is not given but, to you until you pay off the note. The note is like the note is in... The deed is in the bank's name. And then like you can't just like... I guess, I guess it's just a matter of are you confident in yourself to, to pull this off? You know, like if you don't think that you're willing to to take the time and the investment. That's a 30, that's a 30 year commitment. Like I said, like I've done the math on my mortgage and I'm paying, I'm paying an amount where I'll have my home paid off in 2024. I'll, I'll fully own it by then. Um, and, and so I've been really looking forward to that as well. Um, and there are people out there that are in your shoes as well. Like, right. Like that, like that's the, that's the, the remedy for them. It's like they, they are, are paying more than they need to pay and things of that nature. But most people, like when you brought up the argument that most people aren't responsible, like with their finances, when they're renting, right. To put the, whatever they're saving, uh, potentially saving and like the exorbitant, uh, like the down payment or whatever it is into like uh, a retirement account or into an investment, uh, portfolio that generates them more interest than, than real estate. You could also use they buy electric bikes and drones. You could also use the same argument for people that are going into a thirty-year, essentially lease. Um, You could could get out of it. It's not like you're locked into it. Like you're not. The financial crisis proved that. No, 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 no. no. House on the market right now. Sell it. That's right now. And keep everything remaining. That's right now. But if a uh, like God forbid a fucking ridiculous uh, hurricane went and only like targeted St. Augustine and, or put your property underwater, let's say climate change effectively in 20 years or less, let's say five years. I mean, that's crazy, but we don't know if something could happen. Like if uh, like yeah. climate change in the next five well, years, I mean, that, that's what insurance is for, you know? Yeah. But the thing is that insurance is only going to give you the appraised value. They're not going to give you what you owe on the house. You hope for that. They're going to give you what they appraise the value of the property. Is no, that- they give you, they give you what your what, so you pick your policy limits, you know, like they appraise your house and they say, you know, it's worth this much. Your limits are this much. If, if you don't agree with that, you can counter them and say, I, this is why it's worth this much. And, the, and I want to, I want the, the house insured for this amount. Yeah. But, the, but ultimately, but then, but that like, the so thing my, is my like, home isn't insured for what I owe. It's insured for the property value. Like, like but that has a cost is, though. The more, the more that you're putting that number at, there's a higher cost for that. But and, I mean, dude, dude, property insurance is, is, is dirt cheap, dude. But and, you don't, but do you have flood coverage though? Yeah. Yeah. I have flood coverage. I, I, I'm in the, I'm in a thousand year flood plane. So my flood, so my flood insurance is low. What about uh wind? Yeah. That wind is covered. Hurricanes, everything's covered. Okay. Because I know Florida is like really is like really bad about like getting that level of coverage technically because it's mm-hmm. such a huge 
uh, level of risk for insurance companies to 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 be guaranteed. Yeah, in that. certain areas, I'm I'm not in like a high risk area, and I'm I'm not on low lying property. If if you're in the hundred year floodplain, you're you pay significantly more for flood insurance. Um, but luckily, I'm in the thousand year, so I'm, I'm that's the minimal cost. Look at you, bud. Like you've thought it all out. But uh, honestly, though, like for a majority of people, though, like you're the the ability to get back what you want because most people they're only going to be paying a level of insurance that is only going to cover what their note is. They're not really going to cover like the value of their house because that, that but, requires that's not true, dude. insurance is for the value of the house always because you're, because the, the, because the person that you, uh, that appraised you, uh, your house, to, they, they want it insured for the total value because they're the one that's going to get stuck with it in the end. Not if it's demolished, but still it's the property. It's, it's, they, they the land is worth nothing theirs. compared to the value of the property itself. You know what I mean? Like insurers are only going to cover what the appraised amount at a given time is right. Because on paper, like that's how much of the property was worth at that point. But like, if you, yeah, well that's, that's why it's up to you to every year reassess your property value and make sure you're insured accordingly. Most people don't do that though. <laughs> that's that, the point it, I'm trying to something that, that, that home ownership, you know, you, you do have to do your due diligence on that kind of but stuff. But that has a cost though. And like I said, all of that stuff yeah. adds up. All of that stuff is a cost. It's less than you think. I, I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying, I can tell you with confidence that I'm, I'm spending less money now on maybe not because I'm upgrading stuff on that. <laughs> but just, if I was just to not upgrade my house and just live and just only fix things that breaks, I, I would be paying considerably less money than what I would be renting. True, but but you still have to account for your down payment as well, though. You know what I mean. Like your down payment is still something. Like if you put your down payment away for five years in the stock, like five years ago in yeah, the stock sure. market. Yeah, sure. I mean, that was an like opportunity cost that I gave up. But I mean, no matter what, you're going to have to have a head over your, a house over your head. You know, you, you don't, I'm not going to just move to a van one day. I'm always going to be in a house. <laughs> uh, and so like if I, if I really want to move, I'll sell it and I'll have, I'll have all the money right then and there for another down payment. Yeah. You know? I mean, that, that's assumed, but that's not guaranteed is my point. My point yeah, is like I, I could no I I can guarantee you that my house is worth more than my down payment. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> will, that, everyone said that everyone said that pre two thousand six, dude. <laughs> but look at what happened to a majority of America. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, I, I'm not in that. I don't have five mortgages on on. Cra- I, I'm not overextending myself here. You know, I'm that's not even. The, but that's also people were also buying property at its highest assumed rate before all everything went downhill after that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't buy at the peak. I I bought my place significantly above market value of the of the surroundings. I would I would say that you're below. you're an ex- exception because traditionally you're not in a neighborhood. You're so like if your neighbor dies or doesn't take care of their property, it doesn't really affect your property value because you have such well, a. Yeah, and and I have enough property where I have enough cushion around my house where you can't you can't. I don't really have neighbors. I have one neighbor really. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the point. Like, like that's what I was saying at the very beginning. Like if you take your scenario, yeah, of course not. But uh, uh, like, I want to say like almost like 60, 70% of people, but that's slowly actually going down now because of COVID and, and more people actually moving to rural areas because it's cheaper and the ability to work from home is actually allowing people to now save a little bit more. Yeah, it makes sense. It's distributing the cost a little bit more evenly amongst cities, America. Cities are an antiquated view now. I mean, we, city, it's, we don't know. It's people are realizing cities are kind of stupid <laughs> but in the traditional sense like everyone that lived in a city could that's not like 
they can't use that level of confidence. You know what I mean? Because like if they're, yeah, I agree. It is it is a whole other level of, of buying within a city, and and markets are definitely considerably more volatile in those situations too. Um, because if the job market tanks, that, or or I mean, if you if you want to live in a city, then I'd probably agree with you that renting is better. And I would agree with you, like if you lived in a rural area, that you would like uh, owning would definitely be a lot better than than renting. I mean, like if you. I don't think I would ever disagree with that, but uh, like I, I always use my argument in a sense like where does the what like who does this target a majority of, and I feel like still the majority of people live in urban areas compared to suburban areas, mm-hmm. and and it's just because like I said like the means of wealth exists. I, th- I think we should be seeing more people, but going to suburban areas, and that's only gonna. But my argument actually, so like my argument will actually be less valid if. Uh, we become more decentralized from having to go to our wor- our areas of work, and I we mean, have yeah. the flexibility I mean, okay, to go anywhere. Especially like like you know ten ten years ago or so, living out here would have been way different. You know, without Amazon, without you know daily deliveries of next day shit. Still, uh, that changes things a lot. You know, our technology has enabled us to make urban or it's not urban rural living like much more convenient than in, than in the past. So I I. I I stand to say that my, I am right in a sense that like right now, like up to like right now, I could see how renting it in the eyes of like a responsible person or even irresponsible renting would ultimately probably be better than home ownership if you lived in an urban area. But I it do on the person. It, it's simpler. It's, it's, it's easy. It's, it's, it's the better. So it's, I would say it's the better choice if you just want pure simplicity, um, if you're willing to take on more responsibility and to do a little bit more research and to be a little bit more involved, I would still say that ownership would be better, but it's also going to take that, that itself has opportunity costs that you're losing. You know, you're going to have to put time into that and into, into building that knowledge and to, and to make sure that you're making the right choices and doing that, you know, exactly. And so, uh, but I will say that I might start leaning into your camp if I start to see that traditionally like employers and work becomes, and I'm not talking about just like creative work or, or uh, like computer science or things of that nature that traditionally you could do from home. But like if all aspects of work, like financial, um, uh, like, uh, like telephonic, like there's some, some industries that you can't do that. Like hospitality will never be able to be like that or whatever. But like, if like a more and more jobs, are able to be decentralized and become more like uh, like from your home, and you start to see more and more people leaving urban areas and start to go out like out of like the the cities. Then I would I would argue in your I would argue in your camp. I would say like if a majority of America now doesn't live in a big city, but now it's distributed through the Midwest, through like the um, you know the Northwest and like uh, um, and areas where most people would not be living in, like outside the big city, then I would say that, yes, your point is right. Because the distribution would become, um, like real estate costs would dramatically drop. You wouldn't see that though. But again, if that's the case, my argument would still be valid for all the people that did buy real estate in a city that now their property value is going down. Like people in New York, LA, Miami, Las Vegas, like or not Las Vegas because we're actually getting a lot of traffic from California, but like California, like high oh, density yeah, I mean, areas in California, New York. If you, if you buy at the top of any bubble, you're gonna fucking have a bad time. So I mean, 
that's just the nature of investments. Yeah. And so like the, the people that bought then and now are seeing people leave and have an exodus from their city are going to be hit really hard. And there's not really much that they're going to be able to do essentially. So they're like microcosms of people that suffered during the financial crisis. It'll be the same thing. Like they're- I, I think that that mind that, transition away from cities kind of was inevitable as our like supply chains and stuff like Amazon and stuff got more popular enables people to spread out and still have all the amenities that, amenities that they like. Um, I, I think that was always inevitable, but especially with this COVID uh, has, has really hammered that point home where a lot of people now are, I think it's going to move faster than ever, you know, because of that, like there, there's going to be rural areas are going to have a huge expansion. You know, it, it's people are, I mean, why would you want to live in San Francisco and be paying, you know, three or $4,000 a month for an apartment whenever you can work from remote and live out in Texas and own property and pay $1,000 a month and, and, you know, still make the same amount of money working at your job that you would be doing over there in California, you know? Exactly. It will be interesting to see, though, if uh, wages won't, uh, like the distribution of wages will actually start to go down as well. Like if, if like certain positions will actually become uh, less valuable i guess in essence because our the companies could argue like i'm i don't need to pay you as much because we're not offering you the same amenities right like the like yeah, google yeah, and yeah, apple could living, use you're not, art- in, you're not living in san francisco anymore so why do you need to be making this much exactly or like you know when you were living here we were busing you to work we were giving you haircuts we were feeding you and everything and now we don't need to we don't need to do that so like why are we paying you this much money like we could save that money and pay you less and and you just take care of all that stuff yourself um like, I, I think like it, I mean, who knows? Maybe it, it will uh, equalize itself out. Maybe people annually will be making less, but also have the ability to live cheaper as well. I do think that the, the average cost of living will slowly go down, maybe. But at the same time, I'm also not accounting for pieces of shit companies that are buying real estate like crazy and then renting it out for exorbitant yeah, yeah, costs. Yeah, exactly, man. There's a huge amount of, 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 of money dude that, that just gets dumped into building apartment complexes and stuff and it's making these people billions and essentially i mean uh, like during this pandemic and, and other people that don't have the ability to own anymore like they're just chipping away at those people's lives because they're forcing them that like that's the only option that they have left is like to go there yeah a lot of people think that like it's such a hard thing to get into to to come up with the money or to, or to, or to, or to buy a house it's this process but once you actually get into it, it turns out that it's it's not as hard as it as it looks. You know, you kind it is there is challenges to it, but it's doable for it's it's doable for more 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 people than what they would expect. Like people that that think that they couldn't own could own, they just don't realize it. So I think ultimately uh, this argue uh, this this uh, argument back and forth, like I I I like I hope for this where like it came to a point where like. Uh, it really depends on the individual. I don't think there's really a right answer per se. Like if you, if you're a person that doesn't have that much of a means can live out of a room and just rent out a room and have a lot of money saved up and then invest that, I think owning anything would be the stupidest thing you could do. I think you should just invest into the market. Yeah, I agree. It depends on the person a lot, you know, and, and I personally like the freedom that it gives me. The biggest, the biggest plus to me is, is having my own little safe space, you know, with all this COVID, um, you know, you can only be like holed up in your house for so long. It's nice to be able to, uh, to go for a little ride on my dirt bike on my own property without even ever having to leave it or to go for a walk 
and not worrying about having some annoying asshole with no mask sneezing in your face. Like, <laughs> like it's just like you don't have to worry about that shit. Like, it, 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 it takes, like, it, it puts everything into your control, you know? Like, somebody shows up on your property, you can tell them to fuck off and get lost, you know? Exactly. Like, I, I, so, uh, okay, cool. So, ultimately, um, I think, I think we'll always disagree in certain points, but I think that we could probably agree that it's really dependent on the individual. So like if you're, if you can, if you're uh, responsible and you understand uh, like what you're getting into and you do enough research, homeownership might actually be more sensible for you. Um, especially if you know what you're doing and if you're yeah. buying in the right area and if you know like you know, you're if not you buying into a bubble. Money around and expect to make money back. You're, you're gonna have that time. Yeah, that homeownership is wide open. You know, but I I've, again, I guess ultimately the argument that we're making is that you just have to be educated about understanding where you're at in life and like what you need. Absolutely, absolutely. And if That's you if you about. don't, and if you follow what other people do, right, or this idea like owning a home is like the best thing you could do, and so you just buy a house to just own a house. Yeah, that's, that's a bad idea. Yeah, that's the worst idea you could do. And then if you're just renting because you assume renting is going to be the best thing you could do, you might live in an area where uh, mortgages in your area are actually a lot cheaper. Because, again, there are areas where renting is actually traditionally cheaper than, than owning. And the, see, the thing, and the thing too, with the mortgage is there is an end to it. It does end. You, you, there is a finite amount that you pay, and then you're done. Whereas with rent, it's infinite. But, but it is... But that time period is is quite a ways away, though. I mean, it all depends on what your situation is, really. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I, I aim to have my house paid off in three years. So, I mean, it, it, it all depends on the situation. I think if you accounted for the average household income, though, that's not the likelihood. Mm-hmm. Like if you if I mean, you accounted a lot for of like people don't realize how much how how much faster you can pay off the mortgage just by paying a $200 an extra a month directly towards the principal. Oh yeah. Because because the way a mortgage works is uh, you pay all the interest first. Um, so like so like so my $800, okay, so my $800 mortgage payment, that $800 like 85% of it is interest charges, okay? Yep. And and so if you pay an additional $200 directly towards the principal every single month, you'll easily take off 10 years off your mortgage. Like it's oh, yeah. insane. It's insane how a, such a tiny, like just paying a little bit more every month will, will cut your mortgage payments down substantially. That's why I was, uh, I do. I was, uh, I was telling my wife today, actually, I love compounding interest. The, the a reality that that exists in our universe is the wildest thing. It's one of the unfortunate things, like why, like I cannot stand when people are like, "Oh, COVID cases in the city." There's only like three of them, and then the the week after that, there was only twenty. It's like, yeah, you're not understanding how compounding interest works. Like, it's an exponential growth. Yeah, curve. it's literally it's literally gonna look small, and then by day fifteen, you're gonna be like, "Whoa, what the fuck? Everyone's got COVID now." Like that, like that's exponential growth, right? It's the same. It's the same thing. Like I was watching an episode of Shark Tank today, and. This person uh, was talking about their the amount of money that they made over three years was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for the business that they had, and then I was telling my wife I was like, um, most people would just, like when they hear three years seven hundred fifty thousand they would just divide three into seven hundred fifty thousand and assume that's what they made every single year. No, it's probably like the first year they made, and I was right. The person said like my third year I made five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. 
right? It's because the exponential growth of wealth exists as well, or, or, you know, the downward trend as well can happen to you as well. So, um, yeah, like if you, if you're like, if you are the best thing you could do in this case, I guess, is just be educated, right? If you're educated, you know where you're going, where you need to live. And if you understand yeah. like the area, and, you understand analyze your situation, see where you're at, you know, see where you want to be think about it and, and educate yourself on how you can position yourself to do better. Yeah. And then at that point, then if you, if you do everything right, you could, uh, and then you are forward look, looking as well, you can make the educated assumption that renting or owning is probably either better in your case or not. And so yeah, it's definitely variable depending on where you, where you want to be. Yeah. And I was hoping that this argument wasn't going to get to a point where it was like, no, like for sure I'm right. A hundred percent. I would have been like, there's no way, man. There's certain scenarios where like renting is clearly the the better way of doing things. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. if you want to live in New York city, you know, you're, you're not going to, the average person is not going to be able to buy anything in New York City. Renting is your only option. And, and do you even want to? Like New York City is like yeah. LA right now, where people are literally leaving by. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They're like your your value is just tanked. If you bought before COVID, like right before COVID, I feel so bad for you because like literally, uh, building costs have dramatically dropped. You couldn't even pay someone to buy a building right now in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have tons of rooms, tons of apartments are vacant right now. Oh my God. So many. I mean, honestly, it, it would probably be like, you give it one more year and it'll probably be the best time to buy something out in New York, to be honest. Um, but okay. So next week I, so like I was saying, I want to talk about, uh, uh, self sustainability and, and one okay. of the, uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, challenge Lots you with, to that to talk about. uh, so like what I want to talk about is like, um, like, how would you want to do it, right? Like, do you want to live fully sustainable or do you want to live like partially sustainable where you still have some level of connection to uh, like a grid or something of that nature? Um, what area, like what area, like if it's in the United States or not in the United States, I would even entertain like outside of the United States. Are you accounting for um, climate change and changes in temperature? Like, right. Are you accounting for like, Absolutely, the, that's a must. Yeah. Like, are you accounting for the, for that? Um, because like on one side there would be certain areas like in Oregon that I, I would want to live in, but like I don't know fires now. Like I don't know how bad drought is, and like yeah, exactly. Yeah, I also you don't know, know how bad hurricanes are going to be off the East Coast, and so like it's the Midwest, like the best place now. Um, uh, my my dad sent me a pretty cool study uh, that they did where uh, like some scientists tried to project like uh, like the next like Goldilocks zone of of comfortable living within the next hundred years and where that would be located in the United States. And uh, yeah, it definitely moves it up higher altitude, cooler areas, um, higher latitude. You know, uh, the South is not going to fare well. Florida is not going to fare well. Uh, <laughs> no, it's going to be underwater, <laughs> there's, dude. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, educated uh, choices that you can make now to position yourself better in the future. Oh definitely. yeah. And I think also like you have to account for natural disasters, fault lines, like, right. You have to account mm-hmm. for things that aren't, aren't like, you know, fires or wind or water. Yeah. Um, and like, after like thinking about it a little bit more, I, I I'm looking at like, you brought up North Carolina, I think when we were discussing that privately, um, yeah. I don't know. North Carolina to me is like the spot. I, I wanted to save it for our, for our, uh, next week but i feel like in that area in the mountainous area of the east coast is, is is pretty ideal i don't know enough about the appalachia so like i don't know enough about like uh like um 
I know the mountains would protect you against like hurricanes, for instance. Um, yeah, yeah, you're protected from weather. You have you know clean water that comes out of the streams and the and the mountains. Um, you know that you, you still have all the seasons. It's a that's nice there. I really like the Carolinas. So I'm actually funny enough. I'm going to do a little bit more research on it, um, and 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 see. But I, so my like, what I want to talk about is that, like, right, like thinking about the right area. Um, how do you want your sustainability? Do you want to be partial or full sustainability? Because my I'm going to argue for full sustainability, right? Like I want to. Yeah, I, I see the points of that, but I also I feel like partial and still being tied into the grid and stuff definitely has its benefits. I, I, I think so, but I think there's uh like the only thing I would uh be obviously uh connected is, is the internet, but like I don't think I need to be physically connected with it. I think there are like technologies getting to a point now where like you can entertain like when I was talking to, about five G or even like you were bringing up like Starlink. Yeah, as I, well. I, I currently have satellite internet at my house. It sucks. It sucks fucking horrible. But it's <laughs> I bet if there's one little cloud above you, it's like, oh it's, my god, dude! It Even takes... when it's not a cloud, it's like it's straight dial-up. <laughs> it's like a certain molecules in the atmosphere are bouncing the 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 radio waves in such a way that it's just all garbled yeah. by the time it gets to your house. And they, and they know they got you by the balls, so they charge you. You, you don't get unlimited internet. You like the maximum plan that you can get is like 30 gigabytes a month and then <laughs> and then beyond that you have to pay like six bucks or no it's like nine bucks a gigabyte after that oh my god that's ridiculous yeah. uh it's <laughs> um so yeah i, I know for i won't be a hundred percent off the grid but like I, I mean like off the grid like via like lines or anything of that nature like uh, like if it's like uh, untethered i guess it would be the the what i'm talking about then yeah i'm gonna be partially connected um uh i also want to talk about like having like a landing strip like i want to entertain that like building a landing strip or going helicopter yeah. right yeah, yeah. um because i mean if you have a big enough plot of land that's something I, because i don't plan on living all the time on my land right like i want to travel i want to do things and you know, I'm actually looking, I'm actually trying to purchase a uh, a little airplane right now. Are you really? I, I, I want to. It's something I really want to do. Like I was soon. looking at helicopters. Um, yeah, the, the, the cost is so expensive. Is phenomenal. It just, it's, it's too expensive, man. Uh, and and they're very dangerous. Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, they are. Poor I Kobe mean, Bryant. I mean, a, and I mean, obviously, the, uh, everything has its dangers and stuff. But I mean, an airplane's engines quit, so you can still glide it in and control crash it into a field where. Your main rotor fails on the helicopter. You're done for. That's what you're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, you're just spinning around in circles until you hit the yeah. ground. Terminal velocity at that point in a big metal cage. Yeah, um, there's, there's, there's so much stuff too. I mean, as far as even the the, the maintenance cost is is 10x on a helicopter. And then also like even getting your license is probably 3x. Yeah, I think I looked it up. It was like 3x. There's so many. There's so many items because there's so many like critical components on a helicopter that if this one thing fails, you're dead. If this one thing breaks, you're dead. And so, <laughs> uh, and so there's so there's so much stuff that is literally like you, you keep a logbook of all the times on these parts, and whenever this part hits X amount of hours. You don't. It doesn't matter if it checks out and it looks fine. You throw it in the fucking trash. And <laughs> like that. That's the way helicopters work. Whereas, like with airplanes, you don't need to be that aggressive. Yeah. Okay. So uh, definitely airplanes as well. Um, uh, so I want to talk about having a landing strip. I also want to talk about like who would you invite? Like, would it would it just be you and like maybe your closest friends? Would you? So the my idea of it, and and hear me out on this actually. Uh, I, I would want to do it where it's like my close friends, my family, 
but I would entertain also having a few houses built on the land and invite like not inviting, but like doing a marketing campaign of promoting self-sustainability and allowing myself and, and the people in the area to vet people that, that apply to try out the, the try out the living for like a week to see if they can do it and then yeah, yeah, the idea to yeah, them. Cool. And, and like you could use the money that you generate from them paying you for that service to essentially, you know, maintain everything else and like invest yeah, more yeah. into the, into the self-sustainability and I also think, educate people. A key part of being sustainable too is being able to, in one way or another, like make money off your property, whether it's, whether it's raising animals or growing cops or mining bitcoins or, or whatever, uh, you know, you, you need to be able to extract value from what you're doing. And then the, the, the last thing is I want, uh, I've been doing enough research on this, but like uh, essentially how would you power water, heat, and uh, sustain with food your property essentially? Like how would you survive? Like what technologies or what would you use and what uh, what, what difficulties? What, what my dad's. I don't know if we should save this for next time. We should save this for next time and, and kind of leave it on that. But yeah, I, I have a lot of a, a lot of things to say about that kind of stuff. Cool, I do too. Um, uh, and then I uh, also would you want people to have like like uh, the ability to like would you want people that come there to have at least one skill set that would be important to the community, or would that not be really of value to you as well? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody should should carry their weight, you know. And yeah, if you're if you're gonna open it up to other people, you know, they need to be providing value value to the community for sure. Yeah, and so that's that's what I want to talk about for next week, and I think it's gonna be interesting. And honestly, dude, I, I like um, if you're down, like I would totally be into like doing more research and actually making it a reality because you know land yeah, is yeah. not expensive, and also doing I, I, it I, that's something that I've always liked to do. I've had a passion for that kind of stuff, and my father as well and his father as well were always, you know, about environmental stuff and sustainability. And, and that's something that's always interests all of us. And I just want to, because like, I just, uh, I think like now that I have a family, uh, that's, that's what I want my daughter to live in. Like that kind of level of like community, like, uh, appreciating like where you live and like, uh, also not feeling confined to a small space, feeling like you have the world around you. Like you could do a lot of different things, um, and, and having this, uh, like teaching a, a person at a very young age to like be entrepreneurial, creative, critical thinking, all of those things I think are very important because I did my individual podcast yesterday about how technology is essentially making people dumber, like essentially robbing people of being critical thinkers. Yeah. Some of it is and some of it isn't, but yeah, Facebook is definitely doing that. But I, I just think in general, like people are becoming less and less critical thinkers, like more and more people are relying on. Yeah. I hate to say it, but yeah, you're right. Immediacy of answers. The, and the like, saddest if you, part about that is that <clears throat> like all the tools to make the opposite true are just sitting there. I know. <laughs> and, and it's, just, it's just like, yeah, that's a really sad situation, but yeah. But like if you're an actual critical thinker, this is like the best thing to have right now. Like having access to all this information is great. Yeah. But the, like, the, the entire Earth's collective knowledge is basically a fingertip away, but here we are fucking <laughs> arguing about fucking vaccines. Bill Gates putting microchips in fucking vaccines. <laughs> like if Einstein had, like, could you imagine where Einstein would be right now if he had access to all this information? Or like Isaac Newton, if they had right. access to the internet, like where we would be advanced as society right mm -hmm. now? Like it would yeah. be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, what we use is to just make echo chambers for flat earthers. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, what if Einstein being exposed to social media would have converted him away from general relativity to becoming a flat earther? Yeah, like no. Look at Einstein's turn to do an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, great stuff. But uh, honestly, man, uh, th- uh, two out. By the way, two hours and ten minutes. Good stuff, dude. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, 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 say uh, hello to your family for me, man. Much love to to this man. I love this. Uh, it went uh, the way I wanted it to go, uh, and I'm super excited about next week's one. Is is exciting because this one was kind of like okay, let's entertain the idea of going back and forth, but. Next week is going to be like something I do see myself doing in like five years. Like I want to do this. Originally I went from like van life to now this, like this is what I want. Mm-hmm. Which even you could, you could, you could, you can combine van life into that as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like you could essentially do van life and then just come back to your self-sustaining home as well. Yeah. And it, dude, the cost would be so cheap. Like, bro, like I, I like next week I want to talk about like living in, in, like I don't, I I'm dude. My house is so big for me. I don't even need this house. I have a four bedroom, three bath house, and it's too big for me. I have two rooms I'm not even using. Like, yeah, what, what, why do you not downsize then, man? I, I, that's the thing. That's like the whole self sustainability. Like, I want to. I've seen these amazing houses, uh, like self sustaining homes that are built on trailers, and. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, these tiny little mini homes and stuff. Yeah. yeah, and then essentially have all this land to just do whatever else you want to do. Like, that's my mm-hmm. goal. Like, it's like essentially like buy a huge, like take a majority of your money to buy a, the biggest plot of land. And then you can, it's just like your playground, bro. Like, you can do whatever you want on it. You can put whatever you want on it. And then I, that's I'll, where like, I'm at it right now, dog. Homeownership. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think mine wouldn't be homeownership per se. It would be more like, uh, like, build like i don't know it's like building uh something i don't i wouldn't even construe that and it is the same it is home like you're owning your home but to me i don't see it that way you know like i see it like it's like i'm building only what i need and uh like i've lived out of a room a majority of my life like everywhere i go it wasn't until like i got married i knew i was having a kid that i was like okay i need to have a house now but this house is too big and i I even told Catherine. I was like, I we don't need a house. And she was like, we need a house. I was like, I promise you, we're not going to need a house. And lo and behold, we don't need a house. It's too much cleaning. It's annoying. Yeah. Um, and I'm okay with just having a place to eat, a place to sleep, and then doing everything outside after that. Cut back a little bit, man. Get out of the city. Pay less. Get a smaller house. Let's do it, dude. Let's do it. <laughs> That's next week. But... Much love to you, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, yeah, man, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We'll have to come up with a name for this uh, because we'll have to like do intros and, and funny stuff like that and uh, upload this. I know all that stuff, but like we need to come up with a name for it. And then uh, Catherine, or I, I could pay someone because Catherine knows graphical stuff. She could design like a cool thing for us. But even then, like if she's not capable of doing it, then I could just find someone else to do it. Um and I want to make this like legit uh, again um, for everyone that is listening to this. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this, we'll have all the following yeah, episodes. Graphics to throw at you. Yeah. We'll also have like, you know, more episodes. So you're not just listening to this one and then waiting a week for the next one. Like I want you guys to not play like catch up. Um, but yeah, Brian, thank you so much, man. You're awesome, dude. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Worked out well. I'm happy. And then we'll, we'll get to, to talk more and, 
that's something I, I need I need to be better at as well, like reaching out to like friends and stuff like that. I'm so bad about that. Yeah, it would be fun to like get some guests on here as well too, some more people, some more opinions. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, tell Emily I love her and and I hope for the best for you guys. Oh, by the way, did you? Uh, I'll ask you this off 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 this actually. Um, but yeah, let's end it here. All right, man. Cool. All right. Later, bro.